With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntress here with the first Word Balloon of uh, 2016. Happy to welcome back Dan Slott, uh, who has laid out some interesting plans for both Spider-Man and the Silver Surfer. Great uh, success with the Silver Surfer. Uh, His book with Mike Allred, lots of fun. Certainly compared favorably to Doctor Who, one of Dan's favorite TV shows. But uh, it's been a wonderful spin on the Surfer. And uh, I thought things got very interesting as uh, we got up to Secret Wars. And everyone is uh, looking forward to uh, the new directions and challenges that face the Surfer in 2016. Same goes for Spider-Man. Uh, we've already started off a new brand new story. We talk about that arc and uh, potentially some of the problems that uh, Peter Parker is going to face. Uh, he's already had an encounter with uh, his buddy Johnny Storm. And, uh, you know, obviously Spider-Man has taken over the Baxter building and has laid out some new plans for uh, Parker Sciences. I'm going to call it Parker Sciences. And uh, I think the direction for the book is really cool. But it's our usual kind of fun conversation with Dan. Uh, we talk about Star Wars. Of course, we both saw it and both loved it. But we'll go into detail a bit later on in the show. And uh, it's just another breezy word balloon conversation to usher in 2016. And I'm glad you've decided to join us and listen in. Today's episode is brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com, where amazing deals are happening right now, including ones on Dan Slot books, like Silver Surfer Trade Paperback Volume 3, covering the last days, uh, the things leading up to uh, the reboot of the Marvel Universe. It was an excellent story. Outside of uh, the normal universe, perfect place to put the surfer, and uh, it, it was great. It was a lot of fun, and uh, you can get the whole collection at forty-two percent off, just ten dollars and forty-three cents. Or you can try other things like Star Wars: Darth Vader, Var- Volume Two, Shadows and Secrets, leading up to Vader Down, issues seven through twelve. Uh, Karen Gillan and Salvador Larocca and Adi Granoff uh, doing a, a great job on Darth Vader. Also 42% off, $11.49. You can get Ultimate N from Brian Bendis, wrapping up the Ultimate Universe uh, during Secret Wars. Uh, That is 42% off, just uh, $9.85. You can get Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Ongoing, uh, Volume 13, Vengeance. Uh, This collects uh, the original series, uh, um, and it also, uh, let's see, is it uh, issues... uh, 48, 49, and 50, 30% off. Kevin Eastman and Mateos uh, Santoloco, uh, 30% off, $12.59 for this IDW trade. You can get Red Sonia Vulture Circle Trade Paperback, featuring the writing of Nancy Collins and the art of Fritz Casas. 30% off, just $12.59. And that's just the beginning of uh, the great deals you're going to find at InStockTrades.com. Don't take my word for it. Go to the website, check out, look for your favorite writers or your favorite artists or both, and you will find great books at great value. InStockTrades.com. Word Balloon is also brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you, League, for your support in 2015 and your continued support in 2016. Uh, I truly appreciate it. If you would like to subscribe to Word Balloon, you don't have to. show's free. It's always going to be free. But uh, if you want to help the cause out 
and uh, that's terrific. Come to wordballoon.com, click on the videos, and uh, you will see uh, ways that you can uh, subscribe via Patreon or one-time uh, uh, donations as well. I thank you for your support. As I always say, you really want to help out Word Balloon. Let somebody you know who loves comic books and doesn't know about Word Balloon, tell them about the co- podcast, tell them to check it out, and uh, you, you know help us grow our audience one listener at a, at a time, as you've been doing uh, these past going into our 11th year now. So thank you again, League of Word Balloon listeners. All right. Without further ado, let us uh, go back to just a few days ago when I uh, talked to Dan Slot just over the uh, holiday weekend, and uh, we prepped for uh, 2016, and we were all psyched. Um, at the time, we didn't uh, we didn't talk about Sherlock because it was before Sherlock aired. I saw it; it was fantastic. Uh, but we did talk about uh, you know The Force Awakens and and a couple other things. But uh, it's always good to talk to Dan Slot and uh, get his point of view, not only on the books he's writing. But uh, on the pop culture world in general. So welcome back, Dan Slot, to Word Balloon. All right. Even though we're recording this at the end of uh, 2015, I'm, I'm planning on this being the first uh, 2016 uh, Word Balloon of the new year. He's back. It's Dan Slot, everybody. Welcome back, Dan Slot. John. <laughs> this is great. Well, what are your resolutions this year? Oh Jesus! I honestly, I legitimately do have some, but I don't even want to. I think it's like wishes. If you tell them out loud, they may not come true. Oh, I, I, so I, I would rather because, I, yeah, I think honestly I'm going to try and hold my own convictions and not talk about that book that I'm writing that won't come honestly, out. Yeah, yeah, I think it's the other way because you, you, you say it out in the open with people who hear you and they can hold, <laughs> they can hold your feet to the fire. Well, that's true too. But no, I, I, it's all right. How about you? Do you Would you like to uh, give yours? Uh, every year I pull back more and more on message boards and uh, – and, I said, and I'm happier. And I'm a happier person every year. I understand, Dad. I always make the resolution, uh, and I follow it to a point till someone really ticks me off, and then I jump in. And uh, But I, I look at in aggregate, and it's been getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. Uh, so this year I'm taking a, hopefully taking another big chunk out of that. Um, and because I'm just like all through Silver Surfer, I've never gone on a Silver Surfer message board or anything on the message boards talking about the Silver Surfer issues. I just I avoid it like the plague. Really? Yeah, I, I was just like and as an experiment because I I would go and check out everything about Spider Man and be all neurotic. And right, Silver Surfer. The minute you you turn all that off, you're just so much happier. Interesting. I had no idea that they were. Well, I guess it, as every specific hero, they could be very nitpicky. Because honestly, Dan, I uh, I reread uh, what led to the last days and everything, and and just finished reading the the you know up through fifteen. And yeah, it was great. And I love I love Allred's art on it. And it just it I think it's fantastic. It's really it it harkens back to that 60s cosmic feel when you got Allred drawing this stuff mike mike working with mike and laura is just one of the highlights of my entire career in comics i believe they're just the nicest sweetest people there and they're so enthusiastic about everything they're doing and and it just it, it permeates everything it's it's the the pencils when they come in the inks the colors Everything and we, you get to the point where I get an email from Mike Allred. I don't even open it up, and I'm already happy. I'm like, "Oh, Mike sent me an email! Yay!" <laughs> <laughs> I can't blame you, man, because yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned Laura as well, because rightfully so. It's it is the the palette that that she uses. It's gorgeous because she colors it, yeah, right? Yeah, 
Oh my god, no, it's it's, it's that great sixties pop art science fiction look that I, I adore and you know got so many European comics at it and stuff like that. It's their sensibilities along with their natural art styles. It's beautiful. Whenever I'm working with someone, um I, I always I really want everyone to have a creative input into the product. It's it's all into the final product. It, it's all a collaborative medium. It's, it's, it's almost like uh, if you've ever done theater, it's like improv, where you throw something out and the next person throws something back to you. Right, and they add to and it. And they add to it. And you want to give lots of opportunities for people to, to have that, that platform. Um, so with, with Mike and Laura, there, there's so much stuff in Surfer where I go, you know, I could care less what this alien looks like. Have fun. Like, what's the, give me your best alien. You know, uh, and they'll they'll be there'll be a note like, oh, they need to look tough because surfers going to fight them later. But other than that, like I just go like knock yourselves out and then the pages come in. I'm like, oh, look at that weird alien. Look at that guy. Or, <laughs> you know, they're in a really powerful spaceship. Whatever it is, just have fun. You know, so there's a lot of uh, places for Mike and Laura to express themselves and, and go crazy. Um there's uh, it's the same thing working with the G7 Chemicali on Spider Man. Like all of the um, all of the members of the Zodiac. I'm like, dude, knock yourself out. Like, what kind of weird design can you show me? What kind of you know? And he'll he'll draw stuff up, and I'll be like, oh, that's that's great, <laughs> that's fantastic. Let's go with that guy. He looks cool. Um, it's a sandbox. When you're working in comics, it's a sandbox. Then, and everybody, and everybody gets, the gets the play. Everyone gets the play. It's it's fun. It's fun. It's a fun gig. At a boy, no, very, very cool. And also, uh, before we leave Secret Wars, renew your vows. A great wrap up to that. I thought that was a really fun story, and it really, it, you, 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 I think fooled us in a good way in terms of it felt like it was going to be a final Spider-Man story where with a lot more death in it. And I'm really glad that it ended as positively as it did as well. To be honest, I was going to be killing people left and right. And, and part, <laughs> Were you really? Yeah, and Spider Verse turned into such a bloodbath at one point uh, that when I was planning uh, Renew Your Vows, I'm like, I can't do that. I, I can't end the series with uh, with Mary Jane and and Annie standing over oh, his Annie. grave and laying flowers or anything. I can't do that. Let him have a happy ending. It'll be fine. Well, and it's that, and you did, you know, you you played with this idea when Doc was uh, uh, the uh, su- superior Spider-Man. In that, when Doc realizes, oh, Peter was holding back all this time, and when it came time for this adventure, he again, because the stakes were so high, he let himself, you know, he kind of he was able to break free and save his family and and be, you know, him at full, you know, Peter at full throttle. But it's, with without the without the death blow, but oh, still, he, like you know. the, the, he when it, that's was always going to be the climax of the story when it gets to the point where he has to do the death blow to save his family, where he's like he it's more important to him not to see his daughter have him kill someone, right? That, that to go at the start of the story where oh my god you've threatened my child venom, you know that's it you're dead, you know like, I can't there's no other. Right. I have to I have to drop that part of myself because I'm a father now. And then to have him go full circle and then here's the greatest threat, the guy that's wiped out like every other superhero. And I have this moment where I can take him out and I don't. 
and that's when he quote unquote renews his vow, his greatest vow. Um, yeah, it was always going to be that bit of misdirection of making you think it's about the wedding. That's actually exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, that was always the plan. (laughs) It it was, and my, the thing I was really grateful about with that project was, uh, Adam Kubert, uh, went far and above. It got to the point where it, the, the nature of these things, everyone's all complaining online, with uh, Secret Wars took too long to finish and secret, blah, 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 blah. It's it's tough. A lot of times you don't know when you're working on the project, like what all the roadblocks are going to be or how long it's going to take someone to draw something or you do your best to plan then to take things into account, but things can go off the rails. Um, and at the end of the day, what matters is that you tell a good story, that sure, you have sure. a good comic. Um, I look at like the first Civil War. Uh, that Marvel did. Mm-hmm. And if they had taken McNiven off the art and just put someone else in for the last two issues, it would have been terrible. And it wouldn't have been the thing that stays a perennial on the shelves. This thing that everyone loves, you know, so sometimes you take the time and you apologize. You say, sorry, we wanted to get this out on time. And then there are people online. And this is yet again, another reason I need to avoid going online. Who just go, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? You know, like, how unprofessional. I understand, but I also understand a reader's frustration when it's not just the event that's late, but then it does cause the the follow-up books to kind of be ahead. And, and yeah, I mean, it just – it is is a pile-up. I mean, that's the thing. By the same token, I do think the last couple events, especially Secret Wars – a lot of the tie-in stories were really exceptional. Um, a lot of them the, were. The, there was a, and I would say Renew Your Vows is one of them, obviously. The, the, Absolutely. The, there, there was like a moment where I was really afraid we were going to lose Adam because he, here's this guy that's going <laughs> to – no, no, he, he's going to launch Marvel's Avengers title, which is you know one of the it, – it's um, one of the flagship books of the whole Marvel line. And they were putting him on that book with Wade. And there was a point where he really needed to start drawing that. We were deep into Renew Your Vows. And I was so glad he was able to, you know, put the jets on turbo and and keep the quality and still see the project through to the finish. I was so impressed uh, because I look at Renew Your Vows and I go, yeah, yeah, that was that was a keeper. Um, and, and so much of that is 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 just all the gorgeous artwork he did on that. I, I can appreciate that. that. I, I but now was he also? Isn't he doing Dark Knight three or no? No, that's that's his brother. Oh, that's Andy. Yeah. Okay. See, and I and I, I wasn't sure about that. That's what I was going to say. Is I thought you were going to lose him to Dark Knight three. No, 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 no. no. Um, oh, I, I love. That's good too. By the I, way, I love when you're working. Um, <laughs> when you're working for multiple companies, and you're working for like I'm under Marvel exclusive. But there was a time where I was doing work for Marvel and DC at the same time. Mm-hmm. And you'd come into the office and you'd drop in work, whether it was going up to DC or going over to Marvel. And uh, your editor would be like, here's your next deadline. And, they'd be, and you'd start talking, well, I'm working on something else. And if you mentioned, oh, that DC thing? Or if the other side, oh, that Marvel thing? Both editors, no matter who they were, would be like, screw those guys. <laughs> like, do my thing. Well, sure. Yeah. And what's great is you work at Marvel and you're working for two offices at Marvel. You think that goes away. It doesn't. 
<laughs> Marvel editor would be like, oh, oh, you're doing that thing for the Spider-Man office? Screw them. Get my thing done. And the other guy, oh, you're, you're doing that? Screw that. Get my thing done. Like when I went on Spidey full time, Steve Wacker said, uh, the only way you get this, you know, I want to give you this assignment. You have to give up Avengers. You, you can't do Mighty Avengers at the same time. So I was like, yeah, it's gone. <laughs> I actually had one day of stress of what should I do? And then I was like, are you crazy? You know, it's Spider-Man. You're doing Spider-Man. And the, having all my eggs in the Spider-Man basket for a long time was kind of funny because it meant Steve Wacker had to give me my actual deadlines and the actual order of what was important. Because he can't say screw the other guy because he was the other guy. So, yeah. <laughs> uh. Well, tell me about Amazing Spider-Man because right now Peter – Peter is very and don't and forgive me, Dan, because they are different characters and therefore will be different stories. Yep. But on the surface, this feels like '60s Iron Man in a lot of ways. You it, know, Peter's in charge of his company. He's got his uh, good right hand man uh, subbing in uh, every now and then if he needs him for as Spider Man. Uh-huh. And I like he's it. He's got the the bodyguard excuse. He's right. developing uh, tech for Shield. Uh, yeah, I mean, honestly, I, I kind of like Peter as uh, – no, it's fun. It's great. And also the idea of webware as well is very timely and different than what Stark was making. Well, no, but still. He's got all the surface the surface sheen of Tony Stark. And sure. the fun of it is watching him not be Tony Stark, watching all <laughs> the ways that only Peter Parker can screw this up. Uh, you know, just last issue we saw him firing the wrong person. Um, we, right. we've seen him, um, we, we've seen him try to like not accept any of the money, like work for peanuts, you know, buy his suits off the rack and, and do all these, you know, um, uh, philanthropic things through the uh, uncle Ben foundation. He, he's trying so hard. Uh, we, you know, you're going to watch is like it, Tony Stark would be able to like, Hey baby. And then be with someone in the next panel. That ain't Peter Parker. <laughs> uh, you're going to watch him just not pull off the Tony Stark mojo. Uh, we're we're going to come up on um, a story in the not too distant where you're going to have Spider-Man and Iron Man working side by side. And that's when it'll get really fun because you'll watch it like, wow, you are not doing the Tony Stark thing right. That's the fun of Peter Parker is he's still you. He's still that guy. There's always things that are going to make him not the everyman. The fact that he's a super genius and we're not super geniuses. But he's you in the fact that he's the guy that worries if he turned off the stove. He's the guy that forgets to do that thing. Or yeah, he's, he's you in all these very relatable ways. Um, and it's fun to put him in a situation that is so – where he's such a fish out of water. It's not in his wheelhouse. Um, I, I had someone saying, like, no, you don't understand. It's, it's, it's an anathema to everything that Peter Parker is about. He can't have the money. He can't do this. That's not Peter Parker. That's Tony Stark. And I'm like, no, Peter Parker is not, you know, it's not that he can't achieve success. It's that how's he going to screw it up? <laughs> Understood. He's Peter Parker. Um Conversely, it's like there's certain fans that want Peter Parker to be flawless. Like he's been doing this for so many years. Surely he's learned this by now. 
Right, he's got it down by now. Go on. And I'm like, do you make mistakes? Does your dad make mistakes? If he's still alive, does your grandfather make mistakes? And the answer is, yeah, we all screw up. And you never grow up out of screwing up. You, you can grow up with how you deal with it. You can grow up with the kind of screw-ups you make. But there, there are always going to be new mistakes for you to make. And Peter Parker is always going to be the most human of superheroes. Well, and also he can do the right thing, but get it, have it be perceived the wrong way, the way Johnny obviously felt when, when Peter took over the Baxter building. And issue three was terrific. And that's another great moment that you get to write of uh, these two wonderful friends that when they're, when they're in agreement or when they're, in, when they're pissed at each other, it's always good conversation. I will never get sick of that. <laughs> I, will never get, I will never get bored of writing uh, Spidey Torch team-ups. They're the best. Um, the, the only thing that would make me happier just because of my wheelhouse is Spider-Man thing is whenever they're together. I should do more of those. I, I well, and I, you know, there's another example of a guy that you know will manage to figure out a way to screw it up, Johnny. Yeah, the you know, as as much as Spider-Man is the uh, the Ditko character who can lift the heavy thing, you know, when he lifts the heavy thing that's that's trapping him or whatever, and he does the whole rigmarole of uh, I have to do this for Aunt May, for Mary Jane, everyone who's counting on me, you know, and then he lifts it up. Right. The uh, you have those moments with uh, Ben Grimm as well, where Ben Grimm, like you know, buckles down and keeps fighting, even though it's like he doesn't have a prayer of winning. But that's a different thing. That's a nobody's gonna take me down. I'm Benjamin J. Grimm. You know, it's it's a different. It comes from a different place. Right. Um, but they both have that. They will go up against impossible odds and still win. And you, you have you cheer for them. I love comics. Well, let's just I'm hanging up now. I'm just gonna write some comics, John. <laughs> Why am I wasting time talking about this? Let's do, do. This is true. Yeah. But uh well like I love you. What else? <laughs> I like the Zodi- I like the Zodiac characters. I like their uh, I like their design. And also anytime you have like underwater bases and stuff like that. I'm a sucker for that kind of stuff. Uh, it's I'm, I'm having a blast. Uh, you know, if people haven't caught on to what we're doing, we're, we're, there's a lot more action set pieces in this run of Amazing uh, than there have been for a while. Um, and, and I'm having a lot of fun with that, where we're going to break into the underwater base. Um, I'm like, what are, what are some of the other things we've done? Uh, you know, oh my God, we're, we're having a fight on the highway with a supercar. Right. Yeah, the, 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 as, as the torch points out, hey, you'd redesign the Spider-Mobile without no. <laughs> there's There's always a big action set piece. Even when you have the uh, the torch and Spidey fighting in the Baxter building, the action set piece you have is Scorpio. Uh, you know, they're they're parachuting onto the uh, from high altitudes onto the uh, the shield helicarrier. You know, and then fighting all the, you know, so you have, the, there's always something, there's some big cinematic, you know, oh, I could see that in a James Bond movie sequence. Very Bondy, especially, yes, this, this arc, absolutely. Yeah, so we're, or short stories. Yeah, we, we're, we're going in quick, we're doing, we're getting out, and we're doing big action set piece stuff. 
Um, that'll start giving way to because uh, the other thing we're doing is we're we're building up lots of subplots. Yes, indeed. I'm seeing them as I'm reviewing them and everything. Yes, you got uh, you got Harry. You got Harry's back. Who's now using? He, he's. I like the the bit we're doing with Harry. Um, I have a friend who, um, the second they be, they became they could do it legally, they changed their last name. That they didn't want their father's last name, and they switched <laughs> it to their mother's maiden name. And I always thought, you know, next time I bring back Harry, I should do that. Like if, your dad, if your dad's Norman Osborne, uh, you know, screw him. I don't even care we have the same hairline and hairstyle. I'm, I'm going by my mother's maiden name. You don't own me. Um, and that was a really fun beat to hit. And and so many people were like, this is why i got to stay offline. Does he really think that will hide him from the Green Goblin? You're like, dude, that's not what it's about. <laughs> It's it's not about him going, now no one will ever know that I was <laughs> Harry Osborne. No, it's it's about him going like, screw that legacy. You know? My, my name is now Emilio Estevez. <laughs> <laughs> he is the Emilio Estevez of the uh, Osborne family. That's very you good. You know, it's that. And I like that. Jesus. Um uh, there's other, you know, like we're we're bringing back Harry. We're you're seeing where Clash is. Uh, here's the living brain, and it's got Doc Ock's mind in it. <laughs> Who's the man in the red suit? And what's he doing with all these Spider-Man villains? Uh, everything's building and building, and there's going to come a point where uh, everything's going to start paying off, and that's exciting. Beyond what you've got planned specifically for Peter, with Miles now in uh, the 616 or whatever the post-Secret Wars Earth is called, um, do you have – I mean obviously now Wade, Wade is sharing that character. Bendis has the character. Are, are you going to have your point of view on the Peter-Miles relationship at some point? Uh, yeah, you're going you're gonna to see an issue. Uh, you're going to see uh, an arc where uh, Miles is, is strongly in it. Um, we're all in a we're all in agreement that sure that the role that Miles is playing is he's classic Pete, he's high school Pete. It's here's here's this teenage kid trying to find his way in the world, getting into problems with spider powers. This is you know Peter has grown up, and now Peter has this. It was one of the things about making Peter go global was to let. Uh, Miles and Jess and um, and Silk and some of the other characters have New York and have the toy box and have the other Spider-Man villains because uh, and also you know um, uh, Miguel that we have we have like four Spider characters in Manhattan. Oh, and is Miguel now in the 21st century? Yeah, he's he's around. He's around. I mean, I was aware of the book. I have to admit, I haven't been. I, I you can't read everything, and I haven't. You know, I liked when you used Miguel, but I, you know, and I also liked when um, Brian uh, Brian Reed. Okay, <laughs> wasn't didn't Brian Reed have a twenty ninety nine? Uh, I'm not sure. I, not Brian. Not Brian Reed. Brian um, or it's yeah, Peter David writing uh, writing uh, Miguel. Oh, okay, but yeah, who wrote? Uh, was it Timescape or whatever? Oh, Time- yeah, yeah, Bri- yeah, 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 yeah. Wasn't that Brian that was Reed? Brian Reed doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ninety nine, Spidey. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. 
Um, we're doing um, – it's – I'm so impressed with uh, Nick Lowe and the editorial offices because we have we built this giant Spider-Verse where, yes, there has never been this much Spider-Man universe product coming out at the same time as regular titles. So you've got – You've got Miles. You've got Venom Space Knight. You've got uh, Spidey 2099. Uh, Spider Gwen. Uh, <laughs> Silk. Spider Woman. Web Warriors. Uh, Spidey. Which Wait, Web Warriors is back? I didn't Web Warriors is an ongoing. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, Spidey, which is set during high school era. Um, Spider-Man Deadpool. Uh, as a team-up book, like Power Man, Iron Fist, um, you've got uh, we're up to like eleven. Jesus we're up to like Christ. eleven Spider titles, and I'm just <laughs> like, and each the thing I like about it is each one has such a different flavor that there's something for everybody. Like here's here's classic Peter Parker team Spider Man stories and Spidey. Yes, here's Miles with a modern day take on that. And here's our time traveling Spider-Man character. And here's our cross-dimensional exile Spider-Man. And here's our Venom in space. <laughs> like there's something for everybody in this. If you like a spider character, there's a a guy going out there or a gal and they're they're doing big spidery things. So is Miguel time traveling? Uh yeah, you're going to have to read the book. Uh, yes, sir. <laughs> so there's, I will. There's a lot, and he's working at Parker Industries in New York. Oh, fun! He's in the building too. So there's, oh, crazy! There's, oh, that's cool. So are you going to use him on occasion? You will have to wait and see. There, right. there's all there's <laughs> a a literal a giant web of characters coming out of the Spider Verse, and everyone there's so much stuff, and the, and it, I'm so grateful that all the the readers are responding well to it. Yeah, honestly, it is. I'm pleased as well. A lot of my friends are uh, are all working on Spider books, so that's great. Uh, you know, Dennis Hopeless. I'm happy for him. I'm happy for uh, Jason and Robbie on Spider Gwen. Oh God, um, that's a, that's an amazing book. Um, yeah. yeah, no, everyone's everyone's getting to play. You know, in the sandbox. Um, Very cool. Yeah. So yeah, there is a that was a big concern about. Um, Amazing was it like let's get him out of New York because there's there's going to be a lot of characters running around New York. Um, <laughs> let's let's let them have some oxygen. Well, and also give you a different uh, backdrop to play in too because think of how you know be, with with Norman you know or not with Norman uh, with uh, with Otto and you know various got, incarnations of Spider Man got Norman running around the world doing things so there's <laughs> stuff with Norman. There's stuff with Otto brewing, and there's stuff with um, there's stuff with the man in the red suit, the man in the red suit, and right right now we've seen him uh, snatch up the rhino and mm-hmm. snatch up the lizard, and yes. more things are happening. <laughs> cool man, that a boy. What about what? Keep go ahead. Oh no no, it's good. So other than those guys. <laughs> Other than those guys and some secrety things that are that are coming up, and the Prowler, like everything's on the table uh, for everyone else to play with, which is kind of neat. What about uh, the Surfer? What can you tell us moving forward from at the end of the world? Uh, uh, or is it contingent on uh, Secret Wars Nine? Uh, no, no, no. 
it's not surfer and donner um one of the things we've avoided and i've been very strict about this when we have uh uh retreats and talking to other writers is that surfer cannot have adventures on earth that he he and don left earth and they're off in space and having fun and we knew every we know in the greater scheme of things every time Dawn Greenwood returns to Earth that every time she goes back to Earth something important happens and it was important for us not to have not to have them do multiple trips that when she goes away her family doesn't see her until she comes back okay um, and everyone's been very good about that and this is at the start of our new volume. This is the first time she's been back to Earth since uh, Volume 1, Surfer 4. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, and I know that the, that was the plan was to, you know, or at least that's what the sur- the option the surfer gave her mm-hmm. was to, you know, either, well, all right, time to go home. But then, of course, they got detoured. What's, what was the name of the planet? Uh, their, their, uh, like the Nexus in Star Trek, their perfect planet. Oh, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Never, Neverworld? There wasn't, no, Neverworld was the other. Uh, no, uh, Euphoria, the planet. Euphoria, thank you, yes. Yeah, that was great, man. That was a lot of fun, and it was uh, them getting there with, it reminded me of that Superman uh, for the man who has everything. I, I, kind of like, you know, yeah, what happens when you do have everything you want, and she's got Norman Rad being Norman Rad. And and it's kind of, it was very much also like, you know, there's so many different sci-fi tropes. Uh, oh, yeah. Also like that Star Trek uh, classic episode, Shore Leave. That, yes. Yeah. You, I like you end on the planet. It just gives you what you want. It's the ultimate yeah. honey trap. I've always wanted to beat the tower out of Finnegan. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> uh, I, oh, man. So it's the best playing in that playing around with the stuff that you can in the surfer that I, most people are like, oh, he's just doing Doctor Who. Right. Well, you've said it yourself, oh, and that's okay. Yeah, we've been shameless about it. <laughs> <laughs> we dedicated issue three to Russell T. Davies. It's right there in print. Um, but at the same time, it opens me up that I can play, you know, with Mike. We can we can do stuff that's like Doctor Who. We can do stuff that's like Red Dwarf. We can do stuff that's like classic Trek. You know, it's whatever we – it's all a sci-fi is open to us uh, with, for the kinds of stories we can tell. And it's, it's fun to go high concept sci-fi. Um, when we come back, the, uh, the one thing we always do, though, is we very much put it in the uh, in the lens of the Silver Surfer. That these are very much, even though they're those kinds of stories, or there's a touch of whimsy to it, they're, they're stories you really need Noran Rad the Silver Surfer for. Right, because he's not an innocent, mm-hmm. but he is pure. And it's almost because of the things he was forced to... Like, how would you quantify his character? Because some people might... And I can see maybe this is what the grief you're getting on the surfer message boards that he's too stu- he's too dense. Well, yeah, you don't, don't go. go. But, don't but but you know, I don't know what you've heard, oh, but oh, um, maybe that's the deceptive thing is when he's played humorous, you know, in a humorous way. That well, no, you're making him simple, or that he doesn't understand. And it's like, no, I don't think that's what it I'll, is. I'll read reviews after they come out, and I'll talk to fans when I'm at signings and cons, and. Um, There'll be people who go like, I like my surfer like this. Like, I like Starlin surfer. I like, you know, classic Kirby surfer. I like how he was in the Mobius Mm two-parter, you know. Um, I think we live in a world where, you know, you and I, we grew up reading Batman. Mm -hmm. And 
Batman could be fighting aliens. Batman could go into a cave and team up with the Viking prince. Mm-hmm. You know, and then you get like the Denny O'Neill Batman. You get the every you get the Frank Miller Batman. You get everyone's got like a different Batman. Then the character's been along for so, around for so long that that's all right. Um, I think it's cool that there is a Jim Starlin-y Silver Surfer. There very much is a when you think about it, like a Ron Lim Surfer. Mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know, he's got all these different. You've seen Crimson Tide, right? Yes. Yeah, where you get that moment where <laughs> the the Quentin Tarantino written conversation about the yeah. the Silver Surfer, right? The the the, the radio guy and the and the MP have uh, the argument about, and Denzel explains why it's okay. That was such a software <laughs> patch. You you know, a script doctor is supposed to go in with a delicate hand, and that was like, here's your Quentin Tarantino scene. You know, uh, but it's awesome, and it, again, it shows his love for the comics. So it's a great scene. Yeah, it was fantastic. And it's great hearing Denzel, <laughs> like, not only understand, but even add to the conversation. And that's, you told me, go to hell. There's nothing that beats Kirby. Kirby yeah. So. <laughs> it's great. Oh, yeah. No, that's an awesome. No, and I and I get that, too. And I think that I, 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 agree, I agree with you that the character is malleable enough. If anything, your surfer reminds me of when um, Giffen and Dematis, uh did their defenders and kind of did the Boahaha defenders. There's, there's. There's um, a surfer that everyone draws when they're doing sketches. Like when you see uh, comic book artists doing warm-up sketches or con sketches, that there's these kind of pinups that everyone draws of the surfer that you never see in the comic, you know, which is this guy on the board having a blast yes. going through space. But whenever you actually read the comics, his, uh, his hand is nailed to his forehead. You know, it's like he's going through space and he's like angst. It's constant angst. <laughs> right. It's kind of fun to – and what we have is we have this person with him who can, kind of gets to go, dude, we're going through space. This is awesome. And he's kind of like, yes, it is, Don Greenwood. <laughs> it is very awesome. <laughs> you know. Yes, very deliberate. Right, deliberate but not stupid. Yeah. And that's yeah no I that and and very much an alien and that's why maybe he comes off as uh, surface and just you know yeah like like simple but no it's that it's compact he he gets to the point it, I I it's like very it. much uh, yeah like the 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 one big you know trope we've taken from Doctor Who is the companion oh yeah and it works having having the human character you know there to be the human eyes and and literally humanize the surfer it, it works it's it's why you put rick jones with captain marvel you know it, yeah, yes yeah it, it's it's that thing and it's not so they can make pop culture references it's so that they can they can bring it down to a human soul level um we we have stuff planned for surfer one through four our first four issue arc and i really want everyone to jump on with with one because you're going to hit this moment when we get to Surfer 3. And Surfer 3 is the 50th anniversary of the character. It's, great, great. it's the 50th anniversary from the original Galactus trilogy of FF. Wow, wow. Yeah, and the it's it's the third act of a four of a four-part story and 
when you get to issue three, the thing Surfer does in issue three is so epic and so big and, and so to the core of his character and his soul that he will be irreparably changed. And that we say that all the time in comics. It'll change him forever. No, this will change him. There's no way around it. There's no way to soft pedal it. Um, when you talk about the legacy of the Silver Surfer, you talk about him growing up on Zenla, uh, making the making the pact with Galactus, being Galactus's herald, coming to Earth, uh, being changed going against his master, being trapped on Earth for 10, 12 years, and then breaking free, this is the next chapter. When you start telling his legacy, there's no way around it. It's that big. It's that big a chapter in his life when you get to that moment, what he does in the third issue of our run. And I really need people to jump in from the get-go. Because it's it's going to be issue one, issue two, issue three, bam! It's going to punch you in the gut, and from everything after that, it's it's really going to change who the character is. It, we're still going to have the book be what the book is, um, but the, it, you got to admit, like when we did our Galactus three parter, mm-hmm. that was some heavy stuff, man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We can, we, we, <laughs> yeah. Even though even though we've got the 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 pop art stylings of uh, Mike and Laura, we can still hit you with that 60s gut punch, too. That The 60s was also when the comics told that those big, big beats, you know, with the yeah. Yes. And we're going to do that. Well, I was wondering if, and I, this is going to be part of my conversation, uh, have you had a chance to talk to Stan about his thoughts on the surfer? Because I know that's really another character he's he's extremely proud of what he put into the surfer in those initial uh stories not only with kirby but then moving on too with uh, john buscema as well it's weird i've i've never had a chance to talk to stan about that about surfer um i've, I've talked to him briefly about spider-man stuff sure um wow <laughs> that's the thing you know yeah i mean i really think Outside of Spider-Man, I think really the Surfer is the next character that I think he is most proud of. For, truly, really not like, it, not like the thing, not not like uh... I don't know, man. It just seemed like, and especially at the time when when he happened, and it, you know, I, I really think he, I think Stan, and maybe correct or incorrectly so, felt that he was on the wavelength of the young people of the late sixties and early seventies. And I really think he was trying to put that message through the surfer in a way that he didn't with any of his other characters. And maybe because he was this fish out of water alien, he could speak more about the human condition with this character more. Whenever, whenever I'd read those stories, uh, you know, the, the Stan Buscema stories, Mm -hmm. it always felt to me weird because Surfer would be pontificating, and he'd be he'd be space Jesus. Mm-hmm. Exactly, yeah. and I'd be like, <laughs> "Dude, you were the guy with Galactus taking him to eat planets. How can you space Jesus me?" Which I understand that, and I can appreciate that. Were you the guy that just helped wipe out like twelve thousand worlds? <laughs> space Jesus me when the shoe's on the other foot, man. You know, what well, it's almost a Judas that redeemed himself. Or at least found himself, you know, with a, you know, a change of heart. Or I can't think, you know, I'm, I I don't know my Bible like Jason Aaron. Did. 
But uh, but yeah, you know, that kind of character that, you know, was doing the work of the devil and then discovered, no, I'm wrong. Galactus is not the devil. Galactus is a force of nature. I understand. He's the cosmic storm that ravages the universe. Well, but but he needs a or he needs a humanoid herald to facilitate him doing his his nature's work. If he were if he were pure nature, a pure force of nature, he would just like be like an out of control hurricane. One of the one of the fun things about comics, uh, not just comics, about all geek culture, is the way continuity kind of retroactively changes. Uh, True. Like uh, you watch Star Trek Voyager. Of course. Okay. So when you're watching Next Gen, the first time they meet the Borg, it is the first time they meet the Borg. Hugh brings the Borg to them to go, here's something you're going to have to fight in the not-too-distant future. You're not ready. Right. Yes. Absolutely. And the Borg is a complete revelation to the entire Federation. Holy shit, look at these guys. But by the time you get to Star Trek Voyager. They have so retroactively refitted their continuity that her parents were, when she was a little girl, they were studying the Borg as anthropologists. You're right. That's hilarious. It doesn't work. Well, you, you, you it doesn't work. Don't is try it, to fit. Is it just, no, well, I'm just. That's funny. I'm trying to do the math, and it's almost. You're right. It's it's probably ten years too long for it to it make. Doesn't sense. work. It doesn't work at all. And what you just realize is, you know what they've known about the Borg. And, and and that original story now doesn't work, but it doesn't knock it out of canon. You, just yeah, continuity yeah. shifts and changes until it solidifies. And a lot of times when you argue with idiots online, they <laughs> they go to the point where like the original thing and it doesn't work. Like, right. Well, they'll go to the publishing. They'll go to the publishing history. Yeah, where like talking with people about Superman doesn't kill for all my my beef about Man of Steel. And people will pull out Golden Age stories where he's constantly killing people. And you're like, <laughs> the character was gelling. He hadn't fully formed. It takes a while for, you know, the mythos to become a thing. It, like going back to Star Trek. When, when Riker steps onto the holodeck for the first time in the first episodes, uh-huh. it's the most amazing thing in the world. And this is the, the first ship in the Federation that has a holodeck. And they don't even have holodecks back on Earth. Um, when, when Picard, one of his old loves in the first season, meets him, he recreates Paris on the holodeck and invites her. And she's amazed. Cause no, yeah, Michelle Phillips. Yeah, yeah. No one has holodecks. Right. Anywhere in the universe, <laughs> except except the the flagship of the fleet, and they. But the further you get into next gen uh, continuity, the more they throw that out the window. That's true. Where suddenly, you know, um, everyone's had holodecks. People grew up on holo novels. Yeah, they've got. Yeah, the Felix is making holo programs for Julian and stuff. And yeah. So obviously, there's almost like a computer game business for holograms. Yeah, or 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 Janeway tells you about how she used to follow the adventures of Flotter. You know. Oh, that's right. When she was a little girl, <laughs> Flotter. Yeah. So there's there's all this stuff where the continuity kind of the early stages is malleable, and then it it locks into place. Um, and becomes what it is. And I, I look, that's, it's, it's kind of weird when people pull out something from the ancient lore and go, but look, and then there's also things where there'll be a story where there's an anomaly where, 
you know, find me stories where Spider-Man kills someone, you know, where he just aggressively goes and he, and he causes someone's death. You can find them. There's a couple. Oh yeah. There's a couple. Well, there's the Gil Kane Stanley classic with Nor or Jerry Conway, I guess with Norman. Well, obviously he jumps out. He doesn't intend. He, he, there are times where Spider-Man intends to kill someone. There's times where he even intends to kill Jonah. You know, I'm going. Or he's going to go and do that serious <laughs> bodily harm. He has lost it, and he's he's just going to kill him. And then by the time he gets there, he's calmed down. Okay, and I see. Yeah, and you're right. The this, the goblin sled is kind of more. Yeah, no, he jumps circumstantial. He jumps out of the way. Right. There, right. There's like a story where there's a you can find some where he clearly lets someone die or he kind of kills them. Like there's one where he's facing the fixer who's the guy that is responsible for his parents' quote-unquote death. Uh-huh. And he sends a guided missile to go after Spider-Man. And Spider-Man easily like avoids it and brings it back so it hits the fixer and kills him. <laughs> there, there's, there's, no, there's no he jumps out of the uh, G.I. Joe plane with a parachute kind of shit. He just blows him the fuck up. Then he's dead. Um Fantastic. Yeah, and and it's kind of whenever you argue with someone, they pull out this obscure stuff, and you go, "Oh, that, dude, that's the anomaly." We, we, everyone, everyone. <laughs> that's when Stephen Grant was really angry that day, and he wrote that. Yeah, story. everyone, everyone ignores that. We don't, we don't, <laughs> we don't talk about that. <laughs> wow. Don't pull that out as a, like when we were doing Brand New Day. Mm-hmm. Boy, were people mad, and. No, they, they were. They were. Yes, they were. Go they were on. Really mad about one more day, and what? What? A lot of stuff that happened with the brand new day team. Uh, my analogy is there are these people on the street that you didn't like, and you threw rocks at their house, and those people moved away, and new people moved into the house, and you still kept throwing the rocks. You know, it's like, true, true, dude. True. We just definitely we just moved in, but everyone was waiting waiting for something to be wrong in every issue of brand new day people people put up not even a not even a magnifying glass they put it under the microscope the electron microscope <laughs> they they were looking for stuff to be horribly wrong there was one thread that did bother me and that was kind of that they changed betty and peter's betty brant and peter's relationship and i remember joe saying well it would have been inappropriate if betty and and Peter were dating because naturally Betty was always older than Peter. And I'm like, wait a minute, you're imposing that. I'm like, what if Betty was just one? And I think I've even given you this theory before. What if Betty was one of those high school kids that because of their situation didn't go to college and instead she went straight to work for the Bugle and maybe she's only two years older than Peter or, or even the same age. Kurt Jusick even did that in issues of Untold Tales. There you go. And I mean, and it kind of drove me nuts on a brand new day. No, she's more of an older sister. And no, they didn't date. And it's like, hey, man, you're the one that made it into this inappropriate relationship. They could have been the same age. And there you go. Kurt even, uh, Kurt even did, did the that. same thing. Yeah. Uh, the, 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 with, with brand new day, people were so looking for, for stuff to be wrong. Uh, there, well, yeah, that was mine. Yeah. <laughs> there, was, there was this one, um, one, of the opening, one of the opening bits was that uh, Peter gets mugged and someone thinking it's a wash takes his web shooter. And now this mugger's got the web shooter. and he's. I remember, I remember this. Go on, yes. And he's running around webbing up people and taking their wallets and he's wearing like a Spider-Man mask. And people are like, Spider-Man mugged me. Um, 
and it was it was a subplot that was going around. And there was a whole bunch of people online that went, you've got it all wrong. Spider-Man's web shooters need super strength to activate. Only Spider-Man could use them. A normal human being couldn't push down that button. And they were saying that because there was one freaking issue of Web of Spider-Man. One <laughs> issue where these kids find the web shooter. They're trying to activate it and they can't because it takes quote unquote super strength to activate it. And they're only able to finally activate it when they, like, take a large mallet and drop it on it. <laughs> and that's one story that's the anomaly. And I can point to dozens of stories where Peter lost his spider powers yet could still use his own web shooters. Okay. Where other people got his web shooters. And yeah, I was going to say, I, I assumed other people. The Prowler was using his web shooter. I could point to <laughs> dozens and dozens of stories where people with normal human-level strength were using the web shooters. But everyone was so freaking happy to find this online that that thing got copied and tumblered and repeated a billion times. These guys don't know Spider-Man. And, oh, God. <laughs> it gets really frustrating. Um, yeah. <laughs> I got to stay offline. I understand. I understand. You know, we were talking about uh, before we started recording about uh, this uh, this winter's movies, and given that it's the beginning of the year, we can kind of talk about Christmas movies. I don't want to talk about uh, the Force Awakens. Edward, I, I, John, if you haven't seen fucking Force Awakens, right? Fuck you. Fuck. We've <laughs> all fucking seen it. You are hilarious. Now, now think about this. This is right after the first of the year. No, no. So literally two weeks after a no, movie, no, is, now you feel like it's no, safe to start talking this is, about this it's, movie. It's up to freaking a billion dollars. I understand. Everyone has seen this. Well, all the all, all the first wave of geeks. If you want to talk no, about it, I'm, no, I'm letting it. No, that's fine. I understand people like don't talk about it the opening weekend. Don't talk about it the first week. Don't talk about it till Christmas because we're going to go see it for Christmas. <laughs> All right, now that it's post Christmas, it's 2016 when this is there. You can fucking talk about four fucking away. All right, all right, fine. All right, and I think and I think our back and forth listen has given this, you the opportunity. Listen to this word balloon, people. If you haven't seen Force, where you can turn it off. Exactly. So that's a, <laughs> that's the purposes of this back and forth. All right. So now we're done with. It. All right. I I enjoyed it. I thought it was great. I I did have my little nitpicks. Not enough to spend an entire podcast. Uh, or or a blog article about it. My God, some some of our fellow geek brethren. Am, my God, I, I mean, I, they wrote their doctorates on I, I, <laughs> what I, they didn't like about it. So with you, I am so with you on this. But like when I saw it, I got to see it like the day before it aired here okay, here okay. in the states, and I was a lunatic with the spoilers. I was like, uh, you know, putting blocks on my um, not blocking people, but putting that thing where you could like filters, filters on my on my Twitter so I wouldn't see any Star Wars stuff. Good for you. Good for you. I was uh, anytime <laughs> I'm in a movie theater or, or the ad came on TV, I'd be like closing my eyes and going la 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 la, putting my fingers in my ears. That I would be, and here in New York City, we have all these screens over, like with moving images over subway stations. Yes. yes. And and I'd be like on the street, like a, a, a grown man going la 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 la, you know, because it would be. <laughs> when I, I'm like, I so successfully avoided all the spoilers except one tiny thing. Uh, I, I avoided like so 99.9 percent .9 of all spoilers, and then I'm in the freaking cab, John. To go to the movie, and there's a little TV in the cab showing me Force Awakens. I'm like covering it with my hands, going, "Jesus!" 
I understand. I understand that. No, I, I my favorite was waking up uh, Friday the 18th and uh, looking online and 10 things that the Force of Awakens does not address. I'm like, shut, shut up. <laughs> I, I remember like watching a, a TV commercial where uh, these two kids with their Target brand, whatever. Yes, I hated that commercial and too. And they fight, and, they, and their brothers, and then like all these people online went, did they just give a spoiler that Ray and Finn are brother and sister? I'm like, ah, shut up! Yep. You know, the, uh, no, it's horrible. the one thing, it's horrible. there's a, a, a script guy that I follow on, uh, on Twitter, and he saw it earlier than I saw it, and he put up on, on this one tweet that didn't have the word Star Wars in it, and it said, I can't believe... Uh, C-3PO and R2-D2 are barely in this. And I just, I saw that <laughs> and I just screamed at my, like, at the screen, going, ah, why would you post that? Why? And that was like the only thing that snuck through my radar. That's cool. I think I remember, and now we are obviously in the, uh, we're going into spoilers now. I think I remember seeing an article that speculated that Kylo Ren might be the son of Han and, and I was so happy to, to learn that during the movie. I was so happy to learn everything. There are so many people online going, I like spoilers. They help me enjoy the movie. Fuck you. You're wrong. Exactly. They don't. They, no. they don't. You would enjoy. Do you enjoy Psycho knowing the, the twist? Do you enjoy, you know, Citizen Kane? No. And you can't or Sixth Sense. And you can't watch those movies pure anymore. You, no, you're right. And Memento. Um, you can't. It's, right. Well, and even further, there, the Batman Superman movie, the uh, the sequence that they showed it on Gotham and online before the new trailer even happened, where Superman's in the desert, and he lands, and he unmasks Batman and taunts him. Yep. The speculation and analysis of that, I'm just like, just wait for the goddamn movie. Shut up. I'm, I'm so weird with the DC movies in that um, – and if you've seen me online, you know I I just preach the gospel of DC TV, of DC live action TV. Oh, it's amazing! I, I am so happy with the Flash is like my favorite show after Doctor Who. So, after which? After Doctor Who, Flash is my. Favorite. That's I can appreciate that the Flash is my favorite TV show right now. Uh, I, I I can't think of another show I literally stay home to watch. And and Supergirl is rising up the ranks. It is Supergirl is very good. It's I love DC TV live action. Um, And then you hit the movies and it's crazy. I so am not happy with the movies. And the weird thing is it's like (sighs) with, with the, the Nolan Batmans, I can't stand the third one uh, with, I I just can't stand it with Bane. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Dark Knight. Yeah. And the first one, Sometimes you can give me something that is like a perfect gem, but one facet is flawed, and now I hate that gem. Where conversely, you can give me the biggest pile of crap that has one redeeming scene, and I now love that pile of crap. With with Batman Begins, it was so on. It was so – I was like, yes, yes, this is a great Batman movie. And then you get all, me all the way to the climax where the person who saves the day is Commissioner Gordon in the Batmobile. <laughs> Batman's doing jack shit to save the day, to save Gotham. And the opening of the movie, like from in the opening gambit of the movie, he is yeah. going to that jail 
that that courthouse with the gun to kill Joe Chill. He is going there to get revenge. And Rachel pulls him aside, takes him in the car, and slaps him across the face and says, your parents would have been disappointed in you. You know, she's speaking on behalf of the dead parents. Yes. Saying pretty much the start of his hero's journey, that it's not about the revenge, it's about justice. You know? And then he goes on that whole journey to become Batman. He has his big climactic battle against Ra's al Ghul. On the subway. Or on the monorail. On the monorail. And <clears throat> God damn it, he has a chance to save Ra's al Ghul. He has a chance to save him. And he decides to let him die. <laughs> Not to murder him. To let him die. He's okay with that. So basically, he's gone the hero's journey that Rachel sets him on. The thing that he's supposed to do. To, he's supposed to bring Rachel Gould to justice. But that's not the cool Charles Bronson, uh, Clint Eastwood ending <laughs> that, you, that you want in an action film. But this isn't an action film. It's a superhero movie. He needs to be better than an action hero. He needs to be a superhero. And he needs to be Batman. Batman reveres all life. And Batman is for justice. You know, you can fail to save someone and they die if you're Batman. But you don't let them die when you could have saved them. And you sure as hell don't rationalize it. Batman lives in a world of black and white, of right and wrong. And for him to lawyer his way to murdering someone, because that's what he does. He lawyers it. He goes for the gray. I'm not killing you. I'm letting you die. Fuck you. That's not Batman. <laughs> Batman doesn't rationalize. Batman is or isn't. He's black or white. He does. He's extreme that way. And that's why we love him. He has that. He has that very just black well, white way of looking at things. And he has his code, and he breaks that code to let Rachel Ghoul die in the most lawyering kind of weaselly way that a Batman never would. And the minute you did that, everything was going up great until Gordon in the Batmobile saved everybody, and Batman was a douche. Everything was great in that movie. And the minute you did that, I now hate Batman Begins. That said, I love The Dark Knight. I think The Dark Knight is one of the best superhero movies ever made. It, I, I could, it's, it, it's a hard road to slog to watch it multiple times because it's so big, it's so operatic uh, that yeah. it's, it's kind of hard. When you, that's that's uh, you know, scheduled viewing. You know, where I can I can jump in and I can watch Iron Man, I can watch Avengers, I can watch Cap, I can watch Winter Soldier. I can just put those on and and that's a that's great. That that's a thrill ride. And I go, that's fun. But when it comes down to uh, like watching Dark Knight, you're like, okay, crack the knuckles. I'm scheduling some time. I'm going to watch Dark Knight. <laughs> you know, you don't watch Dark Knight on a whim. Agreed. You know, though, uh, the same can be said, and I wonder as time goes on, because I do think it still will take more time and a few other people to do Batman movies to kind of put more perspective on it. But I almost see the superhero movies in the same way that I do the Westerns, in that there are formula solutions, there are formula character paths, and I do understand that when it comes to superheroes, especially in the case of Batman, there's a long literary uh, portrayal of the character 
just like James Bond and stuff like that that you can you know adhere to. But I also think that like westerns, a John Ford western, a Hopalong Cassidy western, and say a Bud Bedecker fifties western are all very different in their approaches. And I wonder if, as the superhero genre matures, will we look back and say, well, that was Nolan's, that was the Nolan influence. This is the Marvel movie influence that represents uh, a, a certain sort of formula. Um, but, but again, each filmmaker is able to give their imprint. I would say the same thing about the Bond films. A Lewis Gilbert James Bond film I'm, is very different than a, a Guy Hamilton I'm, James I'm with Bond you. Film. And there's so many different characters and so many different things you can do with the superhero movie. Like I don't have a problem with Wolverine or Deadpool or Punisher killing people because that's their character. You know, I don't have a problem even with Captain America, a soldier caused someone's death. But there are certain characters like Superman and Batman that it feels wrong. I understand. Yeah. And I agree with you, by the way. Yeah. Um, It's it's weird because everyone uses all these like excuses to me like, well, he killed Zod in Superman 2. And I'm like, first coming clean, the only Superman Christopher Reeves movie I like is the first one. That doesn't mean it didn't happen. And uh, no, no, I love it. Uh, but in the same way, I really don't like Batman Begins, but I love Dark Knight. Um, I I really do not like Superman Two. Uh, Superman Two makes it, I think more. I like the Donner cut better. Yes, uh, but more than more than anything, it's like also you see there's a version of it that was the the footage is there. Right. Uh, where the Arctic police gather up the three fallen, crypt- now powerless Kryptonians and cart them away from the pole. That's true, too. Um, so they, they filmed that sequence. They knew they had wiggle room. The guys had Disney deaths. They fell down through the fog. <laughs> you know? It's not... Ex- yeah, but, yeah, but he and Lois still had dirty sex. Yeah, but it's not a neck snap. <laughs> you know? It's, it's not... It's not, I'm going to snap your neck. It's not right. that. Um, right. And I'll take the Disney death. I will. But even with that, I and bef- and that's not the thing that sets me off on Superman 2. The thing that sets me off on Superman 2 is the uh jerk in the uh in the diner. What do you mean? What do you mean? Um when Clark Kent is depowered. Yeah, I know the scene. What do you what don't you like about the jerk in the, the diner? The jerk in the diner beats him up. And then when, right. when Clark gets his powers back, one of the first things he does is he goes back to that diner. And he beats the living <laughs> shit out of that guy. No, he just pushes him no, and he and no, he, and he, he slides. lets that guy. He stands there with Kryptonian bones and body. Lets that guy break his hands. That's he right. knows damn well what he's doing. Sure, he does. And and that guy probably needs his hands to make a living and to feed his family. He lets that guy break his hands, and then he picks the guy up, shoves him all the way down the diner, and through plate plate glass. Into the pinball machine. Yeah. Uh, screw you. Superman doesn't do that. Superman turns the other cheek. That's not Superman. Uh, n- that's the scene that drives me crazy about Superman. <laughs> and I love that scene. Yeah, I don't, I don't care if you rebuild the Great Wall of China with your eyes. I've, I've been working out. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's horrible. I hate that. It's okay for me to, you know, I, I don't think there's anyone, any X-Men fan in the world that's going to regret another X-Men fan from hating the third movie. You know, it's okay not to like every movie in the franchise. Hello, Spider-Man 3? Come on. Yeah, It's yeah. okay to, to like this one and not that one. It's perfectly fine. Um, uh, Who would have thought the Sandman is the best character in Spider-Man 3? 
I, I constantly pretend Spider-Man 3 doesn't exist. Yeah, it's a bad movie. That's so funny. Encore, I was watching it yesterday, I think, and they were showing Peter dancing that scene <laughs> as the promo I, for Spider-Man I, 3. I, and it's like, oh. I love using that as a GIF. But uh, oh. and, and also when, when, uh, when we did the uh, Doc Ock gets taken over by Venom, and I was doing that with Gage, we constantly in the scripts and plots kept referring to him as, uh, you know, like Disco Peter. <laughs> Evil Disco Peter. Yeah, we wanted we wanted uh, Umberto Ramos to draw him exactly like that. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Uh, but did again, you... we, dude, we live in a golden age. We live in a oh, golden yeah. age that we are getting this many superhero movies and this much superhero TV. Oh, we we grew up with freaking Red Brown Captain America, God. Well, which is why I always, when the nitpickers come out. I'm like, you guys have no idea how good you've got it. And, yeah, and, and I mean, really, to sound like Dana Carvey, we loved that red-brown Captain America movie just because there was a Captain America movie and a second one. Oh, my God. And, and, and Hulk with, with Thor and Hulk and Daredevil and yes. all these were terrible. And we loved them. As much as you thought of John Romita and Man Without Fear with that Netflix Daredevil outfit, didn't you think of Rex Mason and go – Oh, it actually works this time. It's not as it's not as body stocking looking like Rex Maceman. Exactly. Uh, and, and let's be <laughs> honest, Rex works as Street Hawk, so don't badmouth Rex. No, I agree. I love Street Hawk, man. I, I, Rex Mason could have been a very fine Daredevil. I, I will watch Street Hawk on a loop, goddamn. <laughs> All the Tangerine Dream music. Yes, big, big Tangerine Dream fan, absolutely. I love that. Um, no, but we're, we're in a golden age, man. We're getting Peggy Carter on TV. We're getting yeah. Supergirl, Flash. Legends of Tomorrow looks like such a hoot. Yeah, man. Oh, I know. It's it's like it's like uh, somebody tapped into like the best Silver Age characters, and it's like let's put them all together, including Rip Hunter. Oh, I just yay. I, you look at some of the stuff or some of the characters that show up in these shows, and you, yeah. you squeal. You go, oh, my God, they're doing so-and-so. That's, who would have thought Ray Palmer would have gotten a television series faster than Dick Grayson? Oh, my God. And not that Titans isn't already in development, but that's what I mean. Dude, you know? dude you're watching TV and it's like, Red Tornado, T.O. Morrow. <laughs> what? <laughs> Gem of Saturn. Gem of Saturn, Martian Manhunter. Oh, my God. Didn't you just scream when it was Martian yes. Manhunter? Yes, I was very happy. So it's, uh, it's just the best. It's yep. the best. Dude, no, I agree. We're going to live in a time where we get a Black Panther movie, for God's sake. Yeah. Ah, I just. Oh, God. On the trailer for Civil War, watching Bucky and Cap share the soldier beaten down Iron Man oh. with S.H.I.E.L.D. is honestly, that was one of the best. Another one of the best things of The Force Awakens was seeing that trailer on the big screen and how great it looked. I, I'm. I'm. Oh, I, I, we have an Ant Man movie, John. A good a Scott one. Scott Lang Ant Man movie. A really good God, and that's another thing. I remember buying that Marvel premiere with Scott Lang in the seventies. I distinctly remember buying that, and that's insane. That not only do we have an Ant Man movie, but it's a Scott Lang Ant Man. You know me, and you know I'm a huge Hank Pym fan. And when when they had that opening sequence, yes. you know, with 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 young Michael Douglas, is I was I was like, oh, I'm so happy. I felt the same. I know, and that's well, that's the great thing they could do some sort of 70s story with Peggy Carter and Aunt, and Hank Pym oh, and, you know, and do a S.H.I.E.L.D. mission or something like that. And that's fantastic. Just never raise the helmet. 
<laughs> save the budget. Exactly. Save the budget. Uh, it, yeah, do like Bruce Boxleitner in uh, the Tron uh, remake, <laughs> Tron Legacy. <laughs> uh, it, Good stuff. Man. Yeah, no, just, just we're in the golden age. I'm excited about the Deadpool movie, and that's Fox. Me too. So, you know, I I'm so happy we have all these things that are that are on the way. And every time someone jumps in and goes, "Is this the death knell of the superhero movie?" I'm like, dude, <laughs> too late. <laughs> too late. It's it's look at the um, the highest grossing movies of all time. How many of them are superhero movies? We're around. Yep, yep. We're around for the you know. People are like, uh, you have that Spielberg quote, and people are being mean about it, that it's like the Western and it will go away. And I'm like, yeah, it's going to go away in the way that in a couple days from now I'm going to go see Hateful Eight. <laughs> exactly. Well, there was there was a period where the Western went away for – like it seemed – or at least they came a lot less. I mean I'm sure Westerns did pop out between the shootist and Silverado, but not a lot of them. I'm with you. You know, and they did, and and they weren't highly regarded. So that 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 oversaturation to lead with to less product might happen. But the the western truly never went completely away, and they're both from TV and film. And I would say the same about superheroes. That that it, yeah, there might be less. Oh, but also, but but it won't go away. Also, uh, look at look at the track record Marvel's had. They've got same. They've had twelve movies right now, and we're up to twelve. I think. Um, well, uh, do you count like the stuff that came like Elektra and all that stuff? Are no, you no. saying since Iron Man we've had twelve Marvel Studios? Yeah, so since Iron, would it be Iron Man? Would that be yeah. the first? So it's it's been like twelve Marvel. You look at Marvel Studios. Yeah, we've had five. All right, three three Iron Man, two Captain Americas, uh, two Thors, Guardians. So that's nine. Uh, Guardians is ten. Ant Man is eleven. Two two and uh, did you count the Avengers? Right, and two Avengers. So we're at thirteen. We're at thirteen. All yeah. right. Yeah, I think Captain America is going to be fourteen. Then, uh, did you include the uh, the the Hulk? Oh, I forgot about the Hulk. So, so uh, the Ed Norton Hulk counts. Yeah, so that's fourteen. Yeah, really? I thought it was twelve. For some reason, I thought it was twelve. Three Iron Men, two Avengers, three Iron Man. two Captain, okay, two Captain Americas, two Avengers. So that's seven. Okay, two Thors. So that's nine. Uh-huh. Uh, Ant Man is ten. Uh-huh. Guardians is eleven. Uh huh. Um, Hulk with Ed Norton is twelve, and that's it, right? I'm thinking, is that I think it? That's it. All right, so yeah, it would yeah be so 12. we're we're at like twelve, right. and and out of those twelve, <laughs> out of those twelve, the uh, out of those twelve, Iron Man, 2. Iron Man two is the one that makes me groan, and Age of Ultron is not um, as good as the first one. Yeah, I, I'm not, I don't I can watch that again. I, for me, the the two that don't. That are that are hard that are hard slogs. Iron Man two gets it hurts sometimes, and um, I find the Ed Norton Hulk uh, a bit of a bear to get through, especially when they start doing the setup for uh, the leader. And at the end, you kind of have two CGI green marshmallows fighting each other. Yeah, the act, yeah the final battle is kind of clunky, but I thought I liked Ed's character stuff. And I understand that, you know, I also think Mark Ruffalo, they've written Mark Ruffalo better oh, than the, whatever Ed Norton's uh, production Hulk, came up Hulk with. was the star of Avengers 1. Hulk was, yes. the, Hulk was a revelation in that way. That was great. Um, and I don't, I don't have the problems that a lot of people have with, with Avengers 2. Um, I, I don't think it measures up to Avengers 1. I think Avengers 1 is better. Um, 
But I, I look at that and I go, there's 10 movies, you know, a track, right. you know, right. two, 10 out of 12. Yes. Mar- and, and also those two for me are like near the starting post. You know, it's, it's really movie number two and three in the run of mm-hmm, the 12. Mm-hmm. I yeah. go, dude, they're on. If you tell me like, oh, the superhero movie's over. I'm like, look at Marvel Studios track record. This ain't stopping. Um, and even if they hit a clunker, they're going to have to hit a lot of clunkers in a row to kill this thing. So it's it, uh, you look at um, the last four that they did. Ant-Man uh-huh. was fun as hell. Yep. yep. And Guardians. It, Ridiculously fun. Oh, my God. It's one of the few movies I've uh, up until I'm pretty sure I'm going to do it with Force Awakens. But like go multiple times in the theater. I went for Guardians. And, yeah. Oh, and, and plus I watch it all the time when it's just flipping by on one of the cable channels and uh, stuff. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I've been on a plane and not liked any of the movies on the plane and just pulled out my uh, my iPad and watched Guardians. <laughs> and Captain America Winter Soldier is – it's one of the best superhero movies ever made. I completely agree. So it's I look at that and I go, look at the last four they just did. Like, oh my god. That's like – and Iron Man 3, I thought, was excellent. I really liked Iron Man 3, too. And it, it to me, it kind of broke one of the rules, because I want to see him in the suit. <laughs> <laughs> and there was, there was my favorite part of Iron Man 3 is, uh, and I don't mean to be mean to the, the little kid, but he, he was very much a little kid from Central Casting. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And there's a moment where it feels meta. Where Robert Downey Jr. is kind of like, uh, let's get the central casting kid out of here. <laughs> I'm leaving. <laughs> and he goes, yeah. When he goes, I'm cold. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like it's like a buzz off kid. I don't. Yeah, know. you're out of the you're out of the movie now. <laughs> we might see you in the epilogue a little, but yeah, you're gone. <laughs> I agree. That, no, that, absolutely. That cracked me the hell up. But a great, but yeah, a great movie. And no, I agree with you. Winter Soldier. It's funny, and I felt this way about Force Awakens in the same way that I did about Winter Soldier. Just that everybody was running. There was so much energy in that movie, and everybody was just running the hell out of like out of gunfire's way or to attack or whatever. But there was so much great energy in Force Awakens that it excited me from that standpoint. And then just. One thing I said, I was on Chicago radio and I did a spoiler-free kind of uh, review of the movie. And I said what I loved too was that Carrie Fisher and – I mean I said the the vets keeping it you know, spoiler-free but meaning more so, A, that Harrison Ford had so much to do. It's the best Han Solo movie. Uh, it's, it's wonderful. Hands down. Hands it down. It is wonderful. I in, – in my – you know how I rank them, uh, for me it is Star Wars, Empire, this – I agree. You know, and then you know, uh, I I like I like Jedi, and then burn the rest. So, Jedi, you know, Jedi really is unfortunately there's there's good stuff, but yeah, that's kind of there's a lot of bad stuff. The prequels, I have to say, and I was talking about this with a friend this afternoon. I understand people's problems, and I agree with them on the prequels, but the fact that it is in new hands makes me appreciate the prequels a little bit more. In that, you got to give Lucas at least credit for. No matter how you feel about the way he built out Anakin's story, it's original, it's Lucas, it broadened the scope of the story, and what J.J. Abrams gave us, and we liked it, and we needed it, was comfort food. I I agree with you on the J.J. Abrams part. (laughs) (laughs) They did such a good job of cutting the trailer 
for Phantom Menace. People don't remember this. People don't remember how good a first trailer that was, you know, and mm-hmm. and it really any all the annoying stuff from wasn't in the trailer that, that much. All the stuff that was in there that was awesome was fantastic. And I remember when they first showed that on Entertainment Tonight had the exclusive rights to show the first trailer. We were all on the edge of our seats. We were all tuned into that. I remember being on the phone with one of my friends where we weren't talking. We were just watching the trailer. And the second it was over, we were freaking out. And I remember like in our middle of our like gushing, oh my God, kind of stuff. Because that was going to be our first Star Wars in forever. That I remember somehow the phrase came up out of my mouth. Like if something happens to me, if I get hit by a bus, if I am in the hospital, if I am comatose, you wheel my body into the theater. Let me experience that through osmosis. It was like, and then you went and saw it and you went, oh, Jesus. Oh, no. But, you know, half of I will I will defend half of Phantom Menace. I love Qui-Gon. I'm hoping that one of these standalone movies before Liam Neeson gets too old is a Qui-Gon movie because he was, I think, really interesting. And I would love to see him in a a Qui-Gon solo movie. But I thought the stuff with young uh, Obi-Wan and Darth Maul and Qui-Gon, all that stuff, their fight scenes were good. And that that little story was good. Anakin, no, I'm I'm sorry, I'm not five years old, but I can appreciate a five year old seeing it, and and really being excited that this eight year old kid is this amazing pilot and star of the movie. John, I, I but, love you and respect you, and you're wrong. No, I well, I, no, I don't feel that way. But I well, I, I'll stand by the half that I like. Like I said, you don't like the Qui Gon half and the Obi Wan stuff. I'm like John, let's talk like adults and respect, respect, <laughs> you can talk me down. Respect each other's aesthetics and opinions and views. <laughs> but you're wrong. You're, you're fucking wrong. wrong. So, they're horrible. That's all right, so bad. Really, Qui Gon sucked. And I, I bought all the, I bought all the merch too. Like in a daze, I haven't bought any uh, Force Awakens merch. I think I'm burnt out on the merch. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm too old to give a shit about yeah. the merch. I'm not. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. Uh, the, yeah the the Sphero BB-8 <laughs> thing is cool, but yeah, I don't need it. I don't, no, uh, no, I'm no. I'm good with the movie. I love the movie. The movie was great. I had uh, any problem I had with the movie were quibbles, um, were such quibbles that it's it's silly to bring them up. It's it's exactly like you said, comfort food. It's what we needed. It was someone holding our hand saying, "I understand Star Wars. You're safe. It's safe to love Star Wars again. Enjoy, cry, laugh. You know, the, to me, my favorite sequence in all of the original trilogy." Is uh, it's Han Solo going? We're we're fine here. We're okay. <laughs> just, How are you? Be, because or you? The, yeah, <laughs> boring conversation anyway. The uh, because it it was so human. It wasn't people talking in space language, and it wasn't people talking like they were myths or legends or um, you know or or heroic modes you know they were it was the farm boy the the pirate the princess no it was it was a guy talking like he's a guy and boy jj abrams nailed that none of this trade negotiation i don't like sand bullcrap oh yeah they talked like people and and they had it, it had that feeling like when they woohoo and shooting the ships and yay it was all great um 
uh, my quibbles, my minor quibbles, if I could have had two pickup shots, <laughs> this is this is the point where someone should just like turn off the podcast because they're just going to roll their eyes and go, oh, you arrogant asshole. If you were directing the movies, but I'm going to say it anyway. There were there there were two pickup shots I would have done. One during the the final space battle. Uh huh. We didn't see BB-8. He was he was there. He was loaded into an X-wing with Poe. Let me see fucking BB-8. Let me see him go beep 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 and try to fix something. <laughs> Let me see that he's there. Just two seconds of him going beep 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 beep. <laughs> you don't know he was there, and he was talking. right. Let right. me see him. AD, ADR from Dead Slot. We got it, Dad. We're gonna we're gonna put it in the special edition. Thank you. Yeah, with like the little the little tiny mecha arm coming out and going <laughs> and exactly. something back into place. Let me see that. Uh two, uh don't don't tell me you're gonna shove Phasma down the, the trash chute. Show me. That would have been hysterical. <laughs> Show me you are shoving her down the trash chute. Um then there were like two things that were kind of like choices that I wish they made instead. Um, I saw someone arguing and I went, wow, that is a good argument that when, cause Phasma was a cool character in a Boba Fett kind of way mm-hmm. that when Finn pulls out that lightsaber and he doesn't know how to use it, but he's hacking with it. And that one stormtrooper pulls out that special baton. Mm-hmm. That should have been Phasma. They would have had, a, they would have had a greater connection to, to uh, Finn it would have been more heroic for him to be going up against the the person he was afraid of, right, right. and and that would have been more grist for the mill for that fight. And there's no reason why that couldn't have been Phasma. Um, and uh, yeah, this is this is really picking at nits. Um, the bit if I had my one druthers, if I could have done the ADR there when because we all knew the minute Han Solo was walking out on that. On yeah, that yeah. parapet, he was dead. Yeah, yeah. We all knew it. We all knew he was having his Obi Wan moment. Strike me down. <laughs> it was coming, and because he's the old man, he's the Obi Wan, right? In this story, we all knew he was having that moment because there were boxes and they were checking them off, and we were fine with it. Sure. Um, but when he go, when when he goes to Kylo Ren. You know, like, come back, you know, come back to the light side, come back to, you know, your mom's waiting. Um, if if Harrison Ford, if Han Solo had a moment of where he lets his guard down emotionally and says to Kylo Ren, I love you. Just like, I love you, you know, and then Kylo, then Kylo Ren stabs him or or he could even say it while he stabbed, like, I love you. And Kylo Ren went, I don't care. And then he goes into the pit. Now you know it's Han Solo's kid. Exactly. Yeah, Harry Chapin moment. Yeah, if you had <laughs> cats in the cradle. Yeah, if you had, <laughs> My boy was just like me. Yeah, if you had if you had <laughs> I love you, I don't care, that would have I would have been in tears. Yeah. Um it's it's weird. It's like I saw someone uh, did you see Frozen? No, I have not seen Frozen. Ah. I saw someone do a um, uh, someone who's very talented on their Tumblr. Uh, they recorded a, a reprise of the song of one of the main songs. Do you want to build a snowman? 
and they they changed a slight lyric and they put it at this critical moment near the end of the movie. There's a point in Frozen where even though it's a musical, where all the music just kind of stops and the movie just keeps going to its climax and all this stuff. And there's barely, no one's really singing anymore. Okay. And they added that moment and I'm watching this and I'm like, oh my God, you nailed it. Oh, now I feel bad because they did that kind of nitpicky. If I were doing the movie, here's how I would have done this scene. <laughs> and I went, oh, yours is so much better than what they did. Um, it's not fair because we're not, you know, look at us. We're, we're schlubs yeah, talking, please. talking, yeah, talking it, over a, yeah, we, we don't have million dollar budgets on our backs. We don't have the work. Yeah, Monday morning quarterbacking is not exclusive to sports. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I yeah. get this all the time on Spider-Man. Of course you do. So I get it. But those are my, my quibbles. My one really bit, my biggest quibble about, um, about the movie was the final act with the uh, star killer. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, that was, uh, you know, I saw it the second day that it was out downtown Chicago and I'm in this like crowded room and everyone's eating it up. And it's like, yeah, here's the star killer. We're like, yeah, (laughs) death star three. If, if, you know, if you had made it, um, if you had made it a, um, a pyramid or a cube, right. I would have, make it look different. I would not have rolled my eyes as much. (laughs) Um, but the other thing was they didn't clearly define, they, they had one really good beat about the star killer by eating suns. It changes the lighting. Which was very Which cool. Which was cool. But you watch any of the Death Star sequences in uh, Star Wars. I, I, I'm not calling it A New Hope. In, in Star Wars or Jedi. Right. And they clearly set up, here's what's going to happen. Here's the time. Here's the ticking clock. Here's how you stop it. And this, they were vague about how you stop it. I think we have to do a couple of bombing runs. <laughs> there wasn't a clear, if you do this, this will happen. So you need that to ratchet up tension. Sure. The ticking clock was vague as well. They didn't keep the running ticking clock that you had in the other movies. Right. So the the strafing attack, though, did look good. I mean, that's the thing. The practical sets at, my God, any time you saw TIE fighters or X-Wing fighters in action – uh, not only in the climax, but I thought even more so in the daylight scenes. Yep. You know, the planet side scenes. Wow. Those were just amazing. And watching, like, Poe take out, like, you know, five or six <laughs> X-Wings as he's flying by, that was spectacular. And it was really very, you know, well shot. And that was really exciting to see. But my favorite, my absolute favorite moment was, and I was getting to this in terms of, it's great to see, you know, when, when they all made in, in the first movie, they really were all children. Harrison Ford had made a handful of movies, but, you know, they, they weren't the actors they are now. And that first scene, when Han sees Leia, and it's, it was hilarious that Anthony Daniels pops in. Hey, it's me. I don't know if you remember me, but, you know, and all that. But the subtext of them looking at each other uh, and every fan could fill in what they were both feeling. And again, they just emoted. And I really think they, they that shows you how great of actors both of them are. I'll, I'll say Carrie Fisher as well. Because just the regret and I still love you and we fucked up. We fucked up our lives. We fucked up our son. And just the embarrassment and love and and disappointment in each other and, the, and th- themselves as a couple. Just that great back and forth. And you're just like, ah. Oh. 
my my the devastated. The thing I got to give them the most uh, just pure love for was how much time they gave the new characters and yeah. gave them on the screen and got us to care about them because it would be so easy to do a victory lap. It would be so easy just to tout out, you know, C-3PO sure, sure. and R2-D2 and Chewbacca and to have them all over the place. And, well, and have the new people be like Savick and, and Kirk's son David in like Wrath of Khan. Exactly. And, oh, my God, my two favorite – so to their credit, my two favorite moments were a, a Ray moment and a Finn moment. The uh, the Ray moment where they're on Han Solo's salvage ship, not the Falcon, uh-huh. and he's getting dragged away, and she does the thing that saves him, and she doesn't take the credit. But he's like, that was lucky. Yeah, it was. And yep. I'm like, oh, I love her. <laughs> She's the best. And and I know everyone's talking about like male, female, and gender roles, and Mary Sue, screw people saying that. Yeah, fuck yeah. you, Max Landis. I'll say it. Yeah, he's an idiot. I, and it's it's frustrating because I think he's a really great no, writer. No, but it's it's. But when it comes to his opinions on this no, and that Mary Sue shit, fuck you. You know, you know who's a Mary Sue? Luke Skywalker is a Mary Sue. I heard that argument. Yeah, as well. it's like, yeah, the the um, but but I love the fact that she doesn't take the credit because I I don't mean to sound sexist or anything. That's a girl thing. If that was a guy character, he would totally take the credit. <laughs> you, you know it. it. It would be like the football spike. It would be the, yeah, I did that. Yeah. Yeah, Finn. She doesn't need to do it. She knows who she is. She doesn't need it. And I'm like, oh, I love her. She's great. No, they they absolutely and, wrote a very effective and realistic heroic female character. And the bit, it was the great. bit where Finn comes clean and tells uh, Han Solo he doesn't know how to take out the shields. And he's just doing it because Ray's there. We use the force. The force doesn't work that way. No, but no, the the the, the moment where he just lets you know. He, yes. He, yeah, he's doing it because his friend's there. Right. That's why I've risked your, your okay. life and Chewbacca's life and the entire freaking rebellion because my friend's here. I just love that beat. Well, I look forward to Finn's mystery because there has to be more to him to wield the lightsaber as well. I mean, that was the other nitpick that everyone was saying. Well, how could Finn do this? It's like. Well, maybe there's more to Finn, Finn than we know. I, I could care less. He, he did it because his <laughs> adrenaline's pumping. He's got a fucking sword. And let's be real. Kylo Ren sucked at this shit. And, and, and I love that. I love that he's the, the, the throw a hissy fit Darth Vader. Well, yeah. And also, you know, Franco and I were talking about it. And Franco's like, uh, you know, too, the, one of the reasons why Finn was able to be competitive was he's like, he just killed his dad. You you can't tell me, even though he's arrogant about it, that that's not in his mind as well. And and Chewbacca just injured him, you know. I mean, so he's not at full he's not, strength. He's not, he, and he and he wasn't that good of a Jedi. So, oh, I don't know, man. So, that opening scene with Max von Sydow and the I, and the bolt of the energy beam and everything that was fantastic. Yeah, but, but Snoke needs to train him, and that's another thing. Snoke, that name sucks. Yeah, it does. It's very Snape, Snoke. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, I have a theory on Snoke. I have a theory on Snoke. In the same way that, like, um, the same way that uh, uh, Gollum starts off as a hobbit, and the uh, the dark, you know, the, the energies of the ring or whatever turn him into Gollum. Right. right. Um, the the same way that, like, when you're using the dark force, it kind of burns you up. Sure. And we saw it with the Emperor, actually. Yeah. If you could, like, reverse the process and kind of stop motion it, 
<laughs> and before all the dark energy eats up Snoke, he's Yoda's race. Oh, that's interesting. I think he's a Yoda. And that because he always appears so big, when you finally meet him, he's going to be a tiny little guy. Oh, that's a very interesting idea. Yeah, sure. When you finally meet him he, in person, he's going to be tiny. And that's him overcompensating. Yet, just like Yoda, it's, don't judge him by his size. You'll get that. You'll get a. In my, this is my theory. You're going you're gonna to see him. The first time you see him in real life, he will be really tiny and he'll clearly be like a Yoda guy. Interesting. And then someone will do something, and he will whip out the most badass force powers that oh sure that immediately reverses the joke. Where you go, ah, oh, he's tiny. Holy shit, he's a badass. Yeah, I think well, I think we might see that in the climax of episode eight. Yeah. We'll see what yes. happens, or perhaps the start of the climax of episode nine. That is my prediction for Snoke. Very funny. I um, I hope that these standalone movies, while being separate stories will also give us more backstory to whatever direction they're going in. I obviously don't think that'll happen with Rogue One because Rogue One takes place before Episode Four, you, because it's about the caper of the re- rebellion getting the plans for the Death Star. You want, I believe, you want to see them Marvel Universe? It. Sure. Okay. Well, you may as well. I mean, it is in the same universe. I hope we get a Mace Window movie. I, I am. Um... I'm kind of weird though now that they're doing a young Han Solo movie. Because well, that's what I'd ra- that's why I'd rather see a, a, a Mace Windu movie and a Qui Gon movie more so than a Han Solo movie. Yeah, I agree with you because well, now we know how his story ends. Right. Well, and I mean that's okay. I mean we can still go back. I mean they've done it enough times with Sherlock Holmes and other characters and James Bond for that matter. Right. Although we haven't seen the end of James Bond. Mm. I am. We saw the end of Captain Kirk. I am so – this is going to sound terrible. I'm over James Bond. I am over James Bond. It's taken out. I'm not over James Bond. I am disappointed a little in Spectre. Spectre was better than Quantum of Solace. Oh, I, I think I – think, I think, yeah, I know. And I think <laughs> – but I do think Spectre was a missed opportunity, especially with Christoph Waltz. I, I look at like all the Daniel Craig era James uh-huh. Bond and it's nothing about Craig. It's nothing about Daniel Craig. Uh, Quantum Solace, you would have to strap me down to a table and torture me like Bond for me to remember something about Quantum of Solace. Well, that was the writer Strike movie, too, and that's the reason why it is such a forgettable movie. Um, but the other three stick in my mind about how much I didn't like them. None of them? Not even Casino Royale? They all have – Casino Royale is the best of them, but they they all have a really big flaw when you look at the other three movies. And I – I, I would have to really scrub my head to think Quantum of Solace. The, and one of the biggest flaws they have is all the Daniel Craig movies that I can remember have the best action set piece at the top. Yes. And then the movie is just a slow crawl to death because nothing ever tops the opening set piece. Nothing. I agree with that. And I would agree with that with Skyfall and, and – uh... with, with, Inspector and and Casino Royale, definitely amazing opening. The part that parkour, the yeah, parkour, that parkour chase. Casino Royale is fantastic. It's the best. It's the best Daniel Craig moment. I agree. Nothing comes close. And then then on the other movie with the train and the and the and the caterpillar, Skyfall. Yeah, that yeah, that yes. And then the, the yeah, and Money Penny has to shoot, uh, and Money Penny shoots Bond. Absolutely. And the Day of the Dead sequence in Spectre. Yes, they're amazing. And then nothing tops it. So for the whole movie, you're like, come on, give me something. 
give me something. And it's just a slow crawl to death. And, and so many of the movies, Bond doesn't achieve a hero's goal. He doesn't save queen and country. He doesn't save the world. He, is so he doesn't, many, doesn't save them. He doesn't <laughs> save them. Uh, that was Skyfall was the worst. Skyfall was the absolute worst because you look at that movie. The only time he achieves a victory in the movie was when uh, Javier Bardem's character wanted to be caught. Yes. That's yeah, the yes. only victory he scores. And then at the end of the movie, the victory he scores is a personal victory. And when you look at um, uh, Javier Bardem's character, he got everything he wanted with the one exception of he didn't die knowing that he killed him. <laughs> True. But he got – the bad guy won in yeah. every possible way other than not knowing he won when he died. I still like Skyfall in the same way that I only like the first 30 minutes of Pierce Brosnan's Die Another Day. Because, again, you have a great opening sequence in North Korea. Bond gets caught, gets tortured through the opening credits, and then it's 14 months later. He's been sitting in in a North Korean cell, gets traded for the guy with the diamonds in his face – and M is the first moment with them is we're not happy about this trade. We lost too much to get you back. And he's a disgraced agent. And when he goes to Hong Kong and, and cleans up, the moment he steps into Cuba and Halle, and I'll even give you as far as Halle Berry stepping out of the water because nobody should miss that. But that's when the movie goes to hell. And I could care less about the rest to die another day. But I'd like Bond failing in Skyfall. I like him coming back to the service and training and being shitty. I like that. I like a flawed Bond. I think it's interesting and it's something different. I think, like you said, his character is great. And and I agree with you because I feel this way about the Pierce Brosnan era. Pierce Brosnan was a very effective James Bond. Mm-hmm. He had, for the most part, bad writers. I like GoldenEye. I like most of Tomorrow Never Dies from the Hong Kong standpoint. And Jonathan Price's character could potentially be interesting. But no, all those movies are really flawed. And yeah, I think again a missed opportunity. And you got Christoph Waltz as Blofeld, we, and you can't make that work. What's wrong? We with live you? in a world where the Mission Impossible movies, the Bourne movies, other yes. people doing spy movies do Bond better than Bond does Bond. Did you see Uncle? I have not seen. I Uncle. saw Uncle, and it was enjoyable, uh, if empty calories. Okay. Well, you know, honestly, I loved Kingsman at the beginning of the Kingsman year. Kingsman was great. Kingsman's amazing, and that's what I was about to say. Watching it again now that HBO is running the hell out of it, I forgot how much I loved it, and I talked to Mark about it in the summer and said how much I loved it. But even more so, no, it's I fun. I love the hell out of Kingsman. There's only it's one, funny and it's great. There's only one moment in Kingsman where I go. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jerry Lewis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, oh, I, oh, yeah, I know what you're doing, Mark. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Ah, oh, he did. Mark, because Mark's on set. I don't think we ought to do it that way. Yeah, no, but you know exactly the moment I'm talking about in Kingsman. I don't know. What? Everybody's head's exploding in purple mush? No, one specific person's head exploding into purple mush. There's there During that whole sequence, and they got to one specific person with their head exploding. I forgot who. Obama. Oh, I totally forgot about this. And I was like, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> That's all right. You you foreign bastard. 
Yeah, they're that's our exactly. That's all right. They're they're British. Like they can have their fun. That's like in um that's like in Iron Sky. They make fun of the U.S. Although it's Palin as president, but they make fun of the U.S. government and stuff. I, I, That's all right. No, you don't blow up. You're big enough, we can handle it. You don't blow up Obama's head. Yeah. You don't do it. You don't. And dude, I forgot how much I enjoyed that Casey song. Give it up. Oh, <laughs> the, I, there's so much of that I love. I love seeing Jack Davenport as a British agent. Yeah, there's so much of that that was just like, yeah, guilty pleasure throughout that whole movie. Michael Caine was fantastic. He's always fantastic. You know, everyone was great. But yeah, no, and, and I mean, I like, uh, is it, it's Rupert, uh, what's his name, Rupert Evans? Mm-hmm. Yeah, from King's English and everything. I've always liked him as an actor, but no, he was great. And Mark was saying the tough nut to crack for the sequel is, how are we going to do Rupert? We need. We feel like we want him in the next movie again. Wait, wait, wait. No, 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 no. It's not Rupert. It's, um. What's his name? No, no, it's not. It's, um. Oh, you know, Bridget Jones' diary guy. Right. Russell? No. Um, I thought his name starts with an R. Maybe not. No, it's uh, – ah, this is killing me. This is killing me. Um, I know. Yeah, Rupert Evans is the my best friend's wedding. Yeah. No, it's uh, Colin, Firth. Colin Firth. That's right, Colin Firth. Oh, that Firth, hurt right. my brain. I'm sorry, Mr. Right. Colin Firth. That's, that's, you want to sit down? Yes. <laughs> the, the, that's not the way my brain's wired is to go to – no, you're right though, Colin. Yes, Colin Firth, of course. No, and that's what that's what uh, what uh, Mark was saying was that yeah, they're just trying to figure out like the best story way to have Colin Firth still be in the movie because they really want Colin back and he wants to come back. So uh, yeah, that whole, that whole sequence in the church that was brilliant. The everything, no, writing, it was it's, um, yeah, everything was great. Yeah, well, that's the thing, like. And that's uh, Matthew Vaughn. When I think of Guy Ritchie, I think of Matthew Vaughn because you know they were, they did work together for so long before Vaughn started directing himself. And it's funny that there are times when Matthew Vaughn out Guy Ritchie's Guy Ritchie. Mm. And I haven't seen Uncle yet to compare the two movies, but yeah, I know. I mean, everything that I've heard about Uncle and and was the same stuff I heard about Kingsman. And in terms of no, they're more fun than the Bond movies have been in the last couple of years. And especially the last slate of Mission Impossible movies. Um, the one they just put out was fun. Uh, the one with um, with uh, Brad Bird directing live action was amazing. Yeah, yeah. Ghost Rogue Nation was the current one, and Ghost Protocol was the fourth yeah. one, right? The, those have been great. And I'm yeah. not even the world's biggest Tom Cruise fan, and those I just love those. Well, and again, I, I made this point on on WGN Radio when I was on it. Uh, after Force Awakens, I'm like, J.J. Abrams does it again. He did it with the Mission Impossible movies. He did it with uh, Star Trek. And now he's done it with Star Wars. The interesting thing is now the next movie, much like Star Trek, won't have J.J. directing. Um, I'm, I'm hoping Bad Robot learns the lesson of uh, in Star Trek Into Darkness. Exactly. Which was, when I, to me, with Star Trek Into Darkness, the, the, the cold open with them having an adventure on a new planet with a new race and getting into trouble was more enjoyable than the whole rest of the movie. Yeah. Tell me new stories. Take this universe, right. take these characters, tell me new stories. That that you've done that you successfully did the hand holding in, in Forest Awakens and got us to trust you and you clicked off all the boxes, ticked them all off in a row of everything that should be in a Star Wars movie. Now let's take these new creations and these new characters and go new places. You know, if if we see Ray you know, jogging through a jungle with uh, Mark Hamill on her back. I'm going to be very disappointed. 
But I think you are going to see something to that level alongside whatever's yeah. new because I think it's inevitable. But find a new way to do it. Hopefully. Yeah. Don't – don't. Yeah, she better, not, she, not, she better not be lifting the Falcon uh, yeah. with her mind and stuff like that. Yeah, I know. I know. It's interesting. But I do like Chewbacca being along for the ride uh, as well with Ray. Oh. I think that's interesting. Totally. Yeah, I'm, I'm ex- and, I, and obviously I think Carrie Fisher will have more to do in the second movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, no, I liked it. Have you seen, all right, let's move on to other movies. Oh. Creed? I saw Creed, loved Creed. Loved Creed as well. I'm a, being a former boxing writer, I'm a huge Rocky fan. Um, this was, in my mind, the best Rocky movie since Rocky. I have not seen Rocky Balboa. See, I have, and I like Rocky Balboa a lot, and what I like about Creed is, what they what they erased was Rocky Five, and because um, Rocky Five he got really punchy and was kind of borderline disabled. But that's it's, that's the one where he fights Don King, right? Yes, and yeah, and he fights Tommy Morrison in the street. And, and, yeah, street, um, and, and he does the whole "What you gonna do? Sue me?" You know, right. what do I? Got? Yeah, well, and he's just a knucklehead. And in and in Rocky Balboa and in Creed, much like Harrison Ford as Han Solo. It's it gives Stallone a real opportunity to act, and he's not a fool. I mean, he 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 understands the boxing business. Did I, did I because he experienced it, and that's what was terrific. Did, about did it. I see Rocky Balboa and just not remember it? Is, is the end sequence? Does he give his kid an earring and they walk up the steps? No, that's five. That's five. That's yeah, five. I have not. That's the Don King movie. Yeah, haven't haven't yeah. seen Rocky Balboa. No, Rocky Balboa. It's it's you people should see it. It's a great movie, and I mean, he yes, he it's more of a uh, tribute to Foreman's comeback in that he decides to just have an exhibition with the current heavyweight champion and takes it a little more seriously and gets into shape and everything. And um, you know, it's good. It's I mean, but really, like his character is there's more dignity. His dignity was given back to him in Rocky Balboa, and it's still there during Creed, and that's why when. The, and again, we're spoiling, and we already announced this. But when the uh, when the British uh, manager comes to make the fight with the champion, mm-hmm. and he's like, "Look, you're doing this because it's an easy fight." No, no, I think it's very competitive. And Rocky's like, "Yeah, come on, we all know what's going on here. You think you could beat this kid, and that's fine." And you know, I mean, and it's great. And it, it, Rocky's basically telling everyone, "Don't treat me like a fool. I'm not a fool." Uh- and there are people that respect him and respect his knowledge throughout the movie. And also, he's a legitimate co-star of the movie. Oh, yeah. The, when when I saw Jonathan Hickman and some other people whose opinions I value raving about it online, and I went, you know what? I will give it a shot. And I can tell you the exact moment I was in, I was all in, was when uh, Young Creed says to Rocky in the restaurant, like, you had that private match with uh, right. <laughs> with Apollo, who won. And the minute he goes, yeah, your dad won. I'm like, I'm in. I'm all in. I love. Yeah, I love that that they, the honesty of that and the ah, that. Well, that's the thing. They position like they position Apollo Creed as being like Muhammad Ali and truly an all time great. Mm-hmm. Whereas Rocky is a respected heavyweight champion. Because another conversation with another friend was. You know, Rocky's just got this Italian restaurant. He's, he was heavyweight champion. You're telling me he couldn't have been like a commentator on ESPN. I'm like, I know a lot of fighters, again, covering the sport for 16 years as they did, that don't want the spotlight when they're done. And also, he had a good enough life, but he – I tried to make a comparison. He's kind of like Jersey Joe Walcott, which I know goes back to the 40s and 50s, mm-hmm. but was 
uh, it was two champions after Joe Lewis. He was the heavyweight champion, but he was a heavyweight champion, not an all-time great. And when and I think Stallone's Rocky in the Rocky universe is a respected champion, but not to the level that Apollo Creed was. Apollo Creed was an all-time great. And I think that's why in the movie they're like, can baby Creed reach the power? And yes, he's got Rocky Balboa in his corner, but everyone agrees that if they were both young, Creed would probably beat Rocky nine out of ten times. And like he says in the movie, you know, time beat your father. Right. Nobody beats time. And th- and that's why, too, in the third fight, and it's the best part of the end of Rocky uh, three. you know, when they are having that fight, and he's like, remember, you fight great, but I'm a great fighter. Mm-hmm. And even though they're throwing that same punch at the same time, yeah, you know Apollo's going to kick yeah. his ass. Because he even says, you taught me everything. No, almost everything. Yeah, that, that was, ah, uh, love it. So, yeah. And I also, even those moments, like when he fights uh, the light heavyweight kid, and he's like, hey, hit him with a shovel hook and this. He goes, your dad did that to me. It works. <laughs> and just little moments like that. And that's the thing. Rocky's great. I love that you drained him with chickens. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> chickens are getting slow. <laughs> They're slowing down. No, it was great. And that and when he wakes up and he's still playing like the 70s rhythm and blues shit. And he's like, this is how you move in the morning. And Rocky's dancing and it's the most embarrassing thing in the world. Yeah. Uh, Creed's just like, oh. I love Creed. <laughs> Very cool. No, I enjoyed it. How about Bridge of Spies? I have not seen Bridge of Spies. I, I, it's excellent. I, I've heard. That I, you know, and this is gonna this is going to sound horrible. Um, yeah, no, I have, to, I have to put the work first. And, and sure, sure. I got so much stuff to do. Uh, so yeah, I, I want to see more movies. I want to go out and see more stuff. So it means I have to be very selective. I, if I go in and I see a movie and it's a dog, I'm like, oh, God, I, I, I subscribe to movie pass so I can go as many times as I want, uh, during a month. So for me, it now becomes a question of, is this movie worth my time? I understand. I understand. Um, where there'll be some movie where I'm like, do I want to give that? Like early on when I had movie pass and I'm running around, I'm just seeing everything. And then I'm like, oh, I'll see pitch perfect too. It's free. <laughs> I'm like, it's not free. There is a cost. It is a cost. Absolutely. That's Your time is valuable. Time I'm never getting back. <laughs> well, I will say, I won't spoil bridge of spies because I do think it's going to be one of those great dramas that people will likely wait and see on home video or whatever way they would watch it in non theater. But it's, if you like cold war stories I mean, it's written by the Coen brothers. It's directed by Spielberg. It stars Tom Hanks. Do you think it's a good movie? I think it was of course written it. by the Coens. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. yeah. Although I can't say, and I'm going to confirm this because I, I'm now you doubt it or saying that you didn't know that. I'm wondering if I got that wrong. <laughs> well, the one thing I'm like, they had a trailer on the last thing I saw for Hail Caesar. I, I, I saw Spotlight, which was fantastic. Of Sid Caesar or who was no, Sid Caesar, the new Coen Brother movie? Oh, go on. And I'm like, oh, I am so in. I don't know about that movie, so I'm going to have to hear about that. Hold on. Go, you keep no, you keep talking, and I'll. Oh, it is. Yeah, okay. Well, at least Ethan Coen definitely wrote it. Did Joel Coen write it as well? There's one more credit. They say, yeah. So Joel and Ethan and Matt Charman are the three credited writers. So maybe. Charmin might have rewritten uh, uh, Joel and Ethan's script or vice versa. I'm not sure. Man, I did, love Coen Brothers. Well, it, does, it doesn't have that odd left-of-center Coen Brothers feel to it, but the dialogue is incredibly smart, and it's, you know, the Gary Powers U2 plane story. Mm. 
and you know it's it's a great Cold War Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy kind of story. Love that stuff. Exactly. So that's I mean, and Tom Hanks is the lead, and yeah, it's it's a great drama. Uh, you know, I wonder. Well, I guess the Da Vinci Code probably would still be a hit now. Actually, I'm not sure. I'm not sure in this franchise heavy box office world if uh, the Da Vinci Code would have the splash that it did. Or maybe that was one of the last dramas with action that would be a a summer blockbuster. Because, you know, the example I keep giving is Two Guns. Mm -hmm. I think Two Guns, if Two Guns came out in the mid-80s, would be a 48 Hours kind of huge hit that we all remember and love. Is that the one with Rock and Wahlberg? Um, Denzel and and Wahlberg. Gotcha. Didn't see it. Okay. It's a, you know, and you know, Boom Comics, uh, Boom Studios was behind it. Mm. Um, it's a Stephen Grant uh, original story that was a Boom comic, and different from the movie, but similar enough. And um, you know, yeah, I, it's it's a great movie, and it's it's a funny movie. It's a funny action comedy. It's a buddy comedy. Um, and I like I said, I think if it came out in the '90s or in the '80s, it'd be like summertime blockbuster hit. But I think that. What people go to the movies for now, the taste has changed, and people wait for dramas and smart comedies for the mo- you know sometimes people, they'll wait until they're on home video. You see all these guys on like Variety and Deadline, all these people talking about it, not getting it. Like, like is because they're saying, you know, is is this movie dead, or are we only watching action adventure movies now? Or look at all the big hits: your Harry Potter's, your Hunger Games, your blah blah blah. Right, the franchise movies. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's because it's so expensive to go to the theater. Right. And we all have Netflix or Hulu or this or that or the other. And you can you can watch that stuff on your iPad and it doesn't diminish. You know? It's like I, I it takes the seventy millimeter spectacle it, to really stand out in the theater I'm, these That's days. why I'm going to Hateful Eight, even though it's eight guys sitting in a cabin talking. It's on that grand, you know, scope. Well, I'm kind of yeah, I'm kind of in the in the same way that uh, Django Unchained took advantage of the locale. I mean, he you know, and, and so did uh, Inglorious Bastards for that matter. So Tarantino knows how to use exterior space and everything, yeah. and give us grand vistas and you know, beautiful backdrops and things like that. So yeah, that you know, it's funny. Um, I forget which comedy podcast it was. They were talking about Jerry Lewis movies, mm-hmm. and they said it's unfair that we, the American public, mostly and certainly the more recent generations judge Jerry Lewis movies by the way they look on television. And he's like, you know, the French one and the other European countries that think he's a genius. Most of them saw and continue to see his films on a big screen. And he said, Lewis, you know, obviously learned a lot from Frank Tashlin, who was a great cartoonist and animator, as well as a a, a live action film director and it's the scope and, and the little bits of business that are happening in the background of Jerry Lewis movies as much as the, what's happening in front. And that he's not given enough credit for the level of director that he is in things like Nutty Professor and his better 60s movies. Interesting. I Yeah. And, I'm, and I'm, I cannot wait oh, are you in, in 10 years for the day the, the clown, clown cry. Uh, when, when that was suddenly like announced that they found that, that you know, the, what is it? They found the reels? I th- actually, I think Lewis always had him and finally came to an agreement where 
all right, I'm rel- I'll let you guys, you guys can show it in 10 or Yeah, I don't know how it was found, but I know they got Lewis's permission of fine 10 years from now thinking, all right, I'll, th- I'll either be dead or not guaranteed. Yeah, you. I remember like the day that was announced, watching my Twitter feed and watching people like Patton Oswalt freak out. I was freaking out, absolutely, like, like, man. I gotta see that now, and I I knew about it, you know, and I that the existence of what it was, and I'd seen those little clips from the makings of that, have, you know, that were floating around, mm-hmm. and just going, "Wow, what a wrong-headed movie!" He was whacked out on uh, Perkadans and all that shit at that point. Well, it's like uh, you, know? you know, no, but it's like at the same time you see a movie like Life is Beautiful, which technically is pretty damn close. Uh, yeah, you know, and that's done well. And I, m- I remember seeing that in the theaters with my sister, and she turns to me and she's got like a tear streaming down her face, going, "Isn't this lovely?" And I turn to her and I've got like full fountains and snot coming out of my nose. <laughs> <laughs> he loves his son so much. Well, I mean, and Lewis at the time of Day of the Clown cried. There's another movie that's out. Uh, oh God, now I'm thinking. I can't remember the name of it. The one where uh, with Jan Murray. Don't don't raise the bridge, lower the water. I believe it's called, and um, it's a terrible uh, movie where he's a rich guy that was a four F in World War II, but he's uh, he's got enough millions that he puts together this group and has this ragtag group that is going to kill a, a German general. Uh, and Jan Murray is in the movie, and George Takei is embarrassed. He's in the movie and has like a real bad houseboy stereotype, oh, oh. bad role. Um, yeah. And, um, but it's, uh, yeah, it, it, nothing. It's really just a stupid, stupid movie. But again, this was the era of Hogan's Heroes. And I like Hogan's Heroes because it's not a, it wasn't a death camp. It, there is a difference between like the, the camps of the great escape, which weren't, uh, you know, hotel, <laughs> you know, they weren't, uh, they weren't uh, the Holiday Inns either, no, but, but they but they also weren't weren't seriously they weren't extinction camps the way that the death camps. My, were. my parents very liberal and uh, would let me watch anything really uh, as a kid, but there were there were these major exceptions. Um, I was not allowed to watch the Three Stooges. Okay. I was allowed to watch Tom and Jerry, but not the Three Stooges because those were real people. And doing stuff like that could hurt someone. Okay. <laughs> so, no, I was not allowed to watch Three Stooges. And I was not allowed to watch Hogan's Heroes. Because Nazis were not meant to be laughed at. They were meant to be feared. But, but then there's the Matt well, and then there's the Mel Brooks argument, obviously, that if you point out the idiocy, that, that's how you defeat them. That, and, I, and I, you know, obviously that's what Hogan's Heroes was trying to do, too. That is what screwed me up as a kid, because... That was a strong rule in my house. I was not allowed to watch sure. Hogan's Heroes. Sure. But then I remembered all of us sitting down to watch the producers and watching my parents just in tears, laughing. And I was like, this is not making sense to my little brain. Sure. I, I do not. And I remember all of us watching an episode of Laverne and Shirley where they were trying to break into Shots Beer, uh, the brewery for some reason. <laughs> sure. And um, – there was a guard dog that was like a Doberman that was barking at them. And um, and Laverne jumps into Shirley's arm and goes like, Cheryl, watch out, the dog's a Nazi. And I remember <laughs> I remember my parents laughing. And I, I just did not, like, what? <laughs> I thought we were supposed to be afraid of these people. Yeah, and what this meant was whenever they weren't in the house and I had a chance, I watched Hogan's Heroes like, 
I, like, I have to figure it out. I didn't even find it all that funny. I just had to figure out the code. You know, like, well, now that we know the backstory of Bob Crane and it's like now it has a totally different meaning, unfortunately. Holy but also I love uh, I love that Bing Crosby was the producer of Hogan. Oh, Heroes. my God. Hey, I got a great idea. Put it in a prisoner of war camp. Have a lot of fun in Nazis. Did, did, I think that. Did you see that thing about the uh, the Monopoly sets in the in the in the uh, news? It was like either last year or the year before. What What about them? Um, there was the, these guys finally got um, these medals and and recognition. They came up with the ultimate escape kits for POWs. That you got like um, Geneva War Convention, whatever you get. Um, care packages you could uh-huh. things yeah. they would check them uh going to the pow's but you could get things sent to you um and one of the things you were like you could was like a board game you could get this with the uh, red cross whatever you get your your package of stuff and um they came up with a and they came up with a way to sneak things to help P- pow's escape in the board games um and it was such an effective uh, tool and and went through all of World War II and the, uh, the Axis never figured it out. So um, they, the U.S. kept and the Brits kept using this in, few, in later wars. And they kept using it and using it and using it. And for years, none of our enemies figured it out. And it only got to the point where the guys who came up with it were so old that they were starting to pass away. That they went, okay, you know what? We're going to let the cat out of the bag and give these guys medals because they deserve it. <laughs> Where they would sneak in like real currency in with the money for like on Monopoly sets. And they would have things that like they had a problem, which was if you snuck, um, if you snuck uh, stuff to a uh, like a map. Like here's your location and here's where towns are and here's where things are for you to escape and here's where woods are and et cetera, et cetera. That if you gave them a map, if it rained, the map got wet. And when you had to keep looking at the map, you had to keep taking it out and the sound of the paper could alert your presence. Yeah? Yes. They, the guys who were coming up with this came up with the perfect idea. They made maps out of silk. So that if the map got wet, you dried it and sure. you pulled it out of your pocket. It didn't make a sound. And by being silk, they could roll it into the tiniest spaces and they would stick it into a game piece. So your Monopoly piece, you could crack it open and hidden inside would be this little piece of silk that would unroll and be a map of your local area. That's fantastic. Yeah. And you had hidden um, money mixed in with the real money. Uh, so you could have money when you got out. And also one of the pieces when you snapped it open had a tiny compass in it. Oh, wow. Yeah, so there are all these little bits and things that were hidden in one board game, like a Monopoly set. Sure. That could, help, that could be your escape from a POW camp equipment. Isn't that neat? That's fantastic. Oh, Matt, well, I know both the movie The Great Escape and the real story that it's based on and stuff. Yeah, they, they were – a lot of what you see in the movie they actually did. And, you know, they they could like they would have maps hidden inside of matchbooks and, uh, you know, were able to uh, falsify so many documents and things because they have these like expert forgers. And, you know, uh, yeah, it's just ama- and, and literally making uh, civilian clothes out of like, you know, the campaign yeah. blankets uh, and things. Man. Yeah, it's cool. No, it's amazing. And, and they really did 
managed to get like 50 of the 200 people that escaped, 50 of them actually made it all the way. Uh, it's amazing. No, it's a great story. I love that well, stuff. Well, dude, it is it's, – I, I don't mean to be a killjoy. I, I got to get stuff. We can wrap up. Yeah, get yeah. back to making the donuts. Yeah. Hey, man, what are you talking about? We want some goddamn amazing Spider-Man and Silver Surfer. <laughs> the hell are you doing talking to me for? I know, I gotta work. <laughs> no, this is great, Dan. I appreciate it. Looking forward to the stories of uh, Silver Surfer and Spider-Man coming in 2016 with the tidbits you've given us, and uh, let's check in and uh, we'll uh, we'll see what's going on. Cool. Thanks, John. Dan Slott, glad to have him back. Uh, more return uh, guests and new people coming up in the month of January, so stick around for Word Balloon. Uh, on my other uh, part of Best of 2015, I gotta be honest, it was gonna be a lot of uh, some of the controversy and stuff. And I think instead, I'm just going to put up a, a blog post and point everyone to links if you want to hear and retread uh, some of these uh, subjects again. Uh, because we did cover the controversy and we did hit it head on, uh, talking to a lot of guests. But uh, as I say, I would like to focus on the positive. And I really do think that uh, this was a really good year, 2015. And uh, we're leading towards an even better year in 2016. Already, I think, uh, both creatively and uh, also uh, socially in terms of uh, the concerns that uh, creators are getting a, a good shot at, at telling great comic stories and stuff. That's all happening now. Uh, we just saw what happened with uh, Agoulême, the uh, French uh, Comics Art Festival, and their Grand Prix Award for Lifetime Achievement in Cartooning. Uh, their initial list had no women. A lot of uh, creators spoke up, a lot of men spoke up and, and stepped away and asked their names to be taken off of the uh, consideration for nominees. And Agulem uh, responded and uh, I think, you know, re redid the list. And, you know, I, again, I think uh, it, it made uh, the people involved in comics think twice and recognize the fact that, yeah, that isn't just a, a uh, an olive branch to today's creator and acknowledge that things are changing now. But it's, a, 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 more importantly, a, a point to uh, figure out that women have been part of comics since the beginning literally since the beginning, and deserve that acknowledgement in things like Lifetime Achievements. It's kind of what they do with the Finger Awards uh, at the Eisners. Well, uh, Agulem can do the same thing with Grand Prix. And there are easily a great list of classic women who are either still active in comics, uh, like people like Trina Robbins and Jill Thompson, to the Marie Severins, uh, Ramona Fraden still active in comics, uh, people like that that are deserving of uh, Grand Prix consideration if they haven't already won the award. So uh, I'm glad to see that uh, that has been already one of the new causes of 2016 that has been addressed. And, uh, yeah, everyone's responding positively. So I think that's terrific. And I think more of that kind of uh, movement uh, in direction in comics is on the way. So thanks again for listening to Word Balloon. Today's episode brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com. If you still have Christmas money burning a hole in your pocket and you're looking for great deals on great books, perfect place to go to, InStockTrades.com. You'll find amazing books and great savings. Check it out for yourself. John Sutcher saying thanks again for listening to Word Balloon. More great stuff coming up, as I said earlier. And uh, if you've got any questions or comments about the show, reach me via email, John at WordBalloon.com. Uh, you can also follow me at Twitter under at John Word Balloon. Facebook under my name, John Suntress, and the Word Balloon Network. If you listen via iTunes uh, and you want to help out the show, uh, do me a favor, rate the show, uh, critique the show. If you could uh, do those ratings and write those reviews, it really does help. 
and it uh, keeps uh, you know word balloon fresh in the mind of the uh, iTunes algorithms and pushes us close to the top and reminds uh, people, oh yeah, this is a good show. Maybe more people should be listening to it. So thanks a lot for listening. I'll talk to you in just a few days with another great Word Balloon conversation. Until then, Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions, copyright 2016. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, oh.